Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It is the 30th of December, year of our Lord, 2017, and it's the end of the year show. I'm going to play a little old anxiety or old anxiety. Who the fuck knows and who cares? What does it even mean? We're going to find out by the end of the show. Oh, hell yeah. So, this one's going to be a year in review. I had to have fun with it and go over... All the crazy we have, but before we do it, we got to talk about a little bit of new stuff before we start closing loop on a few subjects and then straight into a year in review. First of all, where's the California love? This is the LA Times. Trump is the first president in decades to skip a visit in his initial year. <clears throat> I think that is the one of the most hypocritically crazy statements I've ever seen the news media print. Really think about it. Why in the name of Zeus's ass crack would he go to a state that he lost by five million? Where every elected official has spent their entire time doing laws to go against what he wants to do. And everything. They have fought everything. So, yeah, no. I never saw that under Obama. Um, I don't think Obama came... To Tennessee in this first year, by the way. Don't think there was articles in the Tennesseans. Orange County is going to become a sanctuary city. The whole state's going to become a sanctuary city. And I just want to make sure you understand the ICE, that ICE has confirmed the current fires were started by illegal immigrants. So that is karma 101. You don't want to play by the rules. So guess what? The rules just took care of you. And you have massive fires Started by illegals. Interesting. And then there's going to be background checks for ammo in California. So the socialist state of California is in full effect. I just want to make sure we get a little California love before we move into closing the loop.
talk about this tax bill, winners and losers. According to the Joint Committee on Taxation, look at this distribution table. What we have is that if you earn between $67,000 and $112,000, one in 12 Americans are going to see a tax increase, even short term. We're not even talking about the, you know, down the road after the individual tax cuts expire. So how is that a middle class tax cut? Look, facts are stubborn things, and the fact is that middle class families are going to start seeing more money in their paychecks starting February if we pass this law by Christmas time. The Joint Committee does not account for it's a cockamamie system that actually scores eliminating the individual mandate as a tax increase because if you don't require people to buy health care coverage, you don't then have to give them a subsidy to do that. Well, then, okay, so let's talk about the fact that 13 million people are going to lose their health insurance. They will no longer be required to buy health insurance, which is a different thing. But that will also create uh, new opportunities, and we're going to look into that. And premiums going up. Well, that's exactly right. The premiums are going to go up, too. It's not just people who won't have to spend money on health care. The people who want health care, who are now going to have to buy it on their own, are going to have to pay a much higher price for that. So, there, and, and, and middle-class families who live in states like New York, New Jersey, California, Virginia, are going to see their taxes go up. Like This is, this is not a tax bill that is equitable in, by any stretch of the imagination. Actually, I think it's important we, we unpack that a little bit. The idea that people in high-tax states will lose the ability to itemize their state and local tax deduction does have an impact. However, there's also lower rates for those families and an overall increase in economic activity. So I think that most people in those states, not the governments in those states, but most people in those states actually wind up much better off. Well, I would just argue with the uh, increase in ex economic activity because I think that is notional, but it has never proved to be the fact. I mean, this just, just does not happen. So, you know, we were just talking about this yesterday with Speaker Paul Ryan. Would corporations really take this money they're getting and plow it back into the economy? And on the first day, it seems some have done that very mm -hmm. thing. Listen, they're doing something, but they're literally doing the least they can do. We have to take a step back. This is day one, mm -hmm. and from a PR perspective, you're darn right those companies should have done something. They without a doubt have a relationship with the White House. They know that there are protesters in Washington, that people are going, hold on a second, my taxes are going to go up and corporations are going to get billions of dollars less they have to pay. What are you going to do for me? So this is a great gesture on part of these companies, but thus far it's a gesture. Well, and it's a very positive move. It's a great PR move. Not long-term, yet. Up next, could yesterday's display at the White House, the pig-out over the tax cut, trouble, be trouble for the Russia investigation? Republicans had no problem lavishing praise on this president. Would those say, look at them all up there like, like lemmings. Are they going to back him on, the, on firing Mueller? Look at them. Looks like a North Korean parade. Welcome back to Harvard. It was like a scene out of Julius Caesar yesterday on the South Lawn of the White House. One by one, Republican leaders lined up to praise his eminence, the imperious Donald Trump. You know, I don't know where to start. Except I remember Haile Selassie used to get this, the Lion of Judah, you know, these incredible praises. Sorry, what was that photo up about? Why did they look at the faces? They weren't like North Korean soldiers. Look at all the, all the smiles in unison, synchronized swimming. There's Roy Blunt. There's Al, Al, the guy from uh, Young from uh, Alaska and Vice President Pence. They're all there just grinning exactly the same proper Republican way. I get that they were excited. I get that they That's liked what tax cuts. Like. 
But but why, why, why do you actually have this ritualized fluffing of the orange god king? I mean, it, and I also understand this is an interesting you know tactic you know to you know to keep him in line. But but I had the feeling as I was watching this, like, do you understand you're doing this in public? We can see what you were doing here. I mean, this is great, Paul. You got your tax cuts, but have a little pride, just a little bit of dignity left when all. Nice to be here. I wish it were under better circumstances for health care in this country. I, I understand as Republicans celebrate uh, this legislative victory, uh, folks on, on your side of the aisle are really uh, well, showing consternation. And, and they, were fill, they were sort of framing it yesterday in, in Christmas carol terms. As the Ebenezer Scrooges uh, you know, order bottle service over the holidays, you've got nine million tiny Tims out there. Uh, is it that stark? Uh, is there a risk of these? Of this? Oh, yes. Look. When CHIP was passed in 1997, about 15% of children didn't have health insurance. They fell in some kind of gap. The employer didn't cover it. They weren't, uh, th their parents were making too much money for Medicaid. Uh, CHIP has brought that down to under 5%, so a huge improvement in this country. Uh, the Republicans have not funded CHIP. Uh, the money ran out on September 30th. States are limping along on uh, money that hadn't been spent yet. Uh, it's estimated that by the end of February, by the end of January, 25 states will run out of money. And by the end of February, about a third of the children covered by CHIP, so 3 million kids, will lose health insurance. That does sound like Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, you're giving corporations $1.3 trillion in tax cuts, and you can't find $16 billion a year for children in this country. Something is wrong with that equation. Uh, if we really believe in the future here, we've got to invest in our children. The Republicans are doing a very good job of stripping that away. It's not going to be very popular in the country when people are suffering, and some people will die because they don't have health insurance. Yeah, the, the Republicans are saying actually repealing that mandate is an added tax cut in a way because a lot of folks who had to pay the penalty made less than $50,000 or so. But do you think that this will lead to more folks using the emergency room uh, essentially well, as their primary health care? Interestingly, most conservative health policy experts, people like Jim Capretta from the American Enterprise Institute, they're actually for the individual mandate. They are for continuing the exchanges because the alternative they recognize is not desirable for this country. Well, the, that, that individual mandate, a Republican idea, going back to Mitt Romney in Massachusetts, right? But that's uh, Actually, before Mitt Romney before in him. Massachusetts, it has the fingerprints of the Heritage Foundation right. on it. It was only when the Democrats embraced it that Republicans decided, eh, maybe we don't <laughs> want this. Uh, that's just to say, if my enemy... Uh, like something, then I can't possibly can't like it possibly without like looking it. at the merits of it. Yeah. That is very, very bad policy for this country. It was a little under $40,000. Financially, I struggle. I live paycheck to paycheck. I make things work. I readjust and rearrange, but I, um, we do get by. So will getting by get any easier? We brought her 2016 tax return to Jeffrey Levine, a certified public accountant at Blueprint Wealth Alliance on New York's Long Island. If she were your client, what would you tell her? I got good news for you, Marcy. You're getting more money back next year. He says she'll benefit from a doubling of the child tax credit, and based on her returns last year, he estimates a savings of about $1,300 in taxes. That would be more that I would be seeing um, in each paycheck, so that would be a good thing. Amber and Jason Edwards were also hoping for some good news. You know, I hope it alleviates, you know, pressure on the middle class. Whether it does or not, I don't know. I guess we'll find out.
They're married homeowners with no kids in Providence, Rhode Island. As college educators, they took in more than $150,000 last year as they worked to pay down their student loans. Financially, we're, you know, we're, we're doing okay. We're certainly, you know, uh, not at the poverty level or anything of that nature. Jason, who blogs about their finances, wanted to know how things would change. I actually think they would pay tax on about $12,000 more of income, but because of the lower rates, they actually end up saving a little bit of money. The Vine says the couple will switch to the newly increased standard deduction, which means a simpler return with no itemized deductions. He thinks they'd owe about $650 less than before. Honestly, I'm a little surprised because, well, what you had said, Initially, you thought we were going to have a higher tax bill. Right. They're not the only ones. Melissa and Lane Lev also expressed concern about next year's taxes. I'm thinking they're going to be higher. Um, and by how much, I don't know if I could answer that. I'm just thinking they're going to be higher. Married with three children, they own a home in Fresno, California. They opened a cycle studio last year, and Melissa is a pharmaceutical sales rep. Their combined income in 2016 was... The media is still highly butthurt over this tax cut, as you can hear. But CBS slipped in interviews of people, and if you listen to that, look look what's, what's happening. Those people are saying it's good for them. I'm glad we're doing it. Thank you very much. It's kind of... Interesting how the people got it. New York Times even ran an unbelievably sexist Susan Collins article because she didn't vote the way they liked it. A man delivered manure to Manchin, Munchen House, and there hasn't been any charges filed, so I guess that's okay to do. Extreme poverty is returning to America, so says the Washington Post. And Matthew Dowd, how about this for an idea? No corporations or companies should get a tax cut which has any employer or public assistance. If you don't pay your employees a living wage, you shouldn't get a tax cut. Somebody said, question, how can we cause poor people to get laid off really quick? Hold my beer, Matt Dowd says. Fucking idiots. Jeff B. DDHQ, a subsequent five-second thought would have revealed to him how dumb this idea was. But who has five extra seconds on Twitter? That's a good question. A really good question. To Sarah Huckabee Sanders, back home when we learn how to do more than just bake pies, trap shooting. Showed herself with a shotgun, trap shooting. Well, yeah, how to fuck your cousins. Same here, only difference, I learned how to actually work for a living, unlike you, bitch. That's from a guy. The photo has pulled in more than 40,000 likes, but you had to know the combination of member of Trump administration and a gun would bring out the haters. Speaking of Christmas spirit, while most celebrating life at Christmas, this deplorable lying sack of crap is showing off of shotgun skills or lack of. Either way, no empathy or respect for all those who do not celebrate life this year because they were killed in mass shooting. Good job. And somehow that's her fault. And it goes on. It just goes on. Trump this week did an excellent troll on climate change. And I'm only covering it to prep you for how out of control CNN is. I mean, CNN is just out of control this year. Um, we, we have some articles in here that are just going to blow your mind with how they're acting. 
But he did this on purpose. I don't think he was actually serious. But in the East, it could be the coldest New Year's Eve on records. Perhaps we could use a little bit of that good old global warming that our country, but not other countries, is going to pay trillions of dollars for. And he's right. I mean, that's why we pulled out. Seth Mandel. God, you people are good at getting trolled by him. CNN, Chris Saliza. Three tweets. The first one, climate change is about long-term change of our climate, increasing unpredictability in it, not about a cold spell. And he finishes his third, it's cold outside, but that doesn't mean climate change isn't real. A big, huge article that USA Today did because they're freaked out that, hey, climate change, people are going to think there isn't climate change. USA Today article was then tweeted by um, every person at CNN, plus the Capital Weather Gambit. Ryan Strunk, Dan America, Jerry Diamond, Brian Seltzer, and 25 other blue checks. Democratic talking head political reporters tweeted the same thing. I, I think Trump should just like start a new handle like, you've been Trumped, because it's just hilarious how these people in lockstep have to freaking spend their whole time watching Trump's Twitter feed and refuting it because they hate him so much. It's almost comical. It really is. To Christmas. Sorry to get a drink. Um, to Christmas, we got an interesting article from MRC. CNN is now GNN, the Grinch News Network. And the reason why they're saying that is during their time on the air, this is what CNN was saying during the Christmas season. And then he went to a church service late last night with his wife. Uh, I want to mention something that was said at this church service. The homily that was, that was given uh, actually mentioned the fact that words can hurt people. And this is what was said. Your words can have as much destructive potential as they do healing. So even on Christmas Eve, President Trump was hearing from people who, uh, who are noting the fact that words have the, uh, have the potential to hurt. Margaret, I mean, this is a line that we have heard from Donald Trump many, many... Why does he continue? This is a dog whistle to the base, because no one uh -huh. has ever stopped saying Merry Christmas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, except for that if you turn on some of our competitive cable networks, they have entire hours and programming about the war on Christmas. And it is intended directly to go towards that cultural base that feels that other people are taking their America away from them. That's, right. That was the dog whistle, make America great again. Great from what, right? The people who are taking Christmas away from you. The people who are taking your policies away from you. The yeah. people who are taking... You know, all of your teddy bears away from you, whatever it is, right? We're going to make it great. We're going to bring Christmas back. And that's, you know, it's disingenuous. It's it's not true. There, But there is it's a kernel of truth. But no, no, but, there, but you have to understand, like, there is a, There's a not kernel of truth to the cultural resentment. But the politics of cultural resentment is all about narrative, right? It's, it, and when confronted with facts, it falls apart, but it's because things feel emotionally true, whether they're literally true. The problem is that's a bad basis for policy, and it's a lousy basis for trying to unite the nation. Yeah. And you two looking like a, like I said, all... Merry Christmas. Trying to unite the nation here. <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. And happy holidays. David, let me ask you this. Does a pro-Trump nonprofit uh, associated with the super PAC, what's called America First Priorities, They've just released an advertisement reflecting on the president's first year in office. Uh, the ad touts, the tax plan, other accomplishments. Let me play another clip from this ad. Listen to this. 
As veterans, thank you for reminding us to stand for our national anthem. Thank you, President Trump. Thank you, President Trump, for letting us say Merry Christmas again. Thank you, President Trump, for allowing us to say Merry Christmas. As far as I know, people have been saying Merry Christmas for a long time. Yeah, Merry no. Christmas, Wolf. Merry Christmas, Rebecca. Merry Christmas, Jeffrey. You can no. already say Merry Don't Christmas. Yeah, I do. I feel like, thank you, President Trump. Look, it's a bit of a ridiculous ad. At the same time, this, for the 35% of Americans that still support President Trump, this is the value add. A President Bush could have passed a tax cut. A President Rubio could have appointed uh, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch. But this culture war, this sort of axe grinding is what people got out of President Trump. And they're sort of touting it now as they end the year. Jeffrey, go ahead. Well, no, I just wanted to say that finally, you know, the Obama prohibition on Merry Christmas has been banned, has been overturned, and I, for one, am grateful for that. Yeah, although we have a lot of clips of former President Obama actually saying those words, Merry uh, it's Christmas. True. It's as, true. Just a little you know. Christmas cheer here, you know. What do you think, Rebecca? I, I would agree that it is a little bit ridiculous, but... Um, you know, can we also say Happy Christmaka? I think yeah, that's yeah, right. also Happy Christmaka. Happy Hanukkah. Yeah. Right. Happy Kwanzaa. You can say Merry right. Christmas. Right. As far as I know, this is a free country. We have Absolutely. freedom of speech. You can say all of the above and a lot more. All right, we'll take a quick break. Much more right after this. I'm sorry, Wolf and Company. We do have a war on Christmas. It was a big deal under the Obama administration. Hell, Starbucks even ran out with the can't have Christmas cups, and they did just figures and things like that. So... Happy holidays was very much a popular phrase during Obama. And if we don't have a war on Christmas, why is Rudolph gay, Santa gay, uh, baby a cold outside, slut shaming? And oh, by the way, it's a wonderful life. Occupy Bedford Falls. It's not sentimental. It's dark. It's about how hard things are. And the other one, it's a wonderful life. The most terrifying movie ever. Those are actual articles, friends. Those are articles. I'm not making this up. You people hate fucking Christmas because you hate fucking Christians. So get over yourself. So when CNN wasn't playing fuck, fuck, goose, I'll just read the tweets before I play the soundbite. This entire clip is creepy, but hey, journalism 2017. Are they going to get plaster molds of his footprints next? Nothing creepy here, dude. Just CNN in a bush. This is some psycho ex-girlfriend who got dumped two Novembers ago but still hasn't moved on relentless stalker every move type shit. This is Gulfgate. And it'll be followed by Box Truck Gate. I'm angry tweeting. The president was back at it once again, this time going again at his own FBI, the law enforcement professionals who keep the country safe from things like terrorism. He was also going after the Russia dossier yet again. Let's talk about the president's day yesterday. First of all, he, he hit the links. Uh, we know this because CNN found a gap in the hedge there at his golf course. Not they won't. Long, they won't tell us. But then uh, it was obscure. Yeah. So as we as we just try to get a shot to confirm the president is back uh, playing golf, uh, some random white panel truck pulled up and randomly parked at the block. Was it black, random? Uh, Bill? Yeah. The president also got back on the golf course, but. Not that we can prove it, because a giant white box truck blocks reporters from capturing his 87th day at one of his courses since taking office. We get the latest from CNN, Sarah Murray in West Palm Beach, Florida.
Uh, got to finish with some levity. You said earlier that the president should embrace who he is. So what's up with the white truck blocking his <laughs> golf swing? Is that just a coincidence or what do you think is behind all that? That is not a coincidence. And that's sort of a metaphor for 2017 as far as I'm concerned. That was like the most 2017 thing ever. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's a great way to end the year. Game of golfing. Golfer-in-chief Cat and Mouse continues. Uh, the White House refuses to tell us whether or not the president was playing golf for the 86th or so time. We don't need to uh, since we can see it. We can see it in the right there through the hole in the hedge, at least until a strange white panel truck pulled up and, and blocked our shot. Air. The Secret Service claims they had nothing to do with that. None, let, let the conspiracy theorists go with that one. And has been able to get pictures of him on the golf course in previous days. On Wednesday, it was a little bit tougher, a big white box truck suddenly appeared to block the shot. Unclear who commissioned it, but not any pedestrian can just park there. And we know that this is a White House that seems particularly sensitive, for whatever reason, about images of President Trump on the golf course. Back to you guys. But, Pam, it seems pretty clear that someone did not want us to get any pictures of the president. The president also got back on the golf course. Hmm, not that we can prove it, because a giant white box truck blocked reporters from capturing his 87th day at one of his courses since taking office. We get the latest from CNN's Sarah Murray in West Palm Beach, Florida. This is a public space that our cameras uh, have been uh, positioned for the past couple of days and we're able to catch a quick glimpse of the president uh, while he was golfing. But today, this truck showed up out of nowhere and we don't know where it came from. And, and, and this box truck and the video that, that we have is yet another example of the White House uh, trying to obscure the fact that he's golfing. We've reached out to the White House, to Secret Service, and to the, uh, the sheriff's officers down here uh, to confirm was this their truck, what was this part of. Uh, we haven't really gotten many responses back so far, Don. Now back to that mysterious truck blocking the president's golf swing from the cameras. A spokesperson for the Secret Service says the agency had nothing to do with it. The Palm Beach Sheriff's Office also denying any responsibility. Also, Ryan, over the past few days, CNN has video of President Trump golfing. But today, an unmarked white truck was blocking the view of CNN's cameras. What did you learn about why it was there and how is the White House responding? It actually moved at one point when our photojournalists attempted uh, to try and get a different angle, so to make sure to block the view of whoever was golfing at that time, and then it moved away pretty quickly. We did ask the Secret Service, and this is what a spokesperson told us. She said, quote, the U.S. Secret Service is not in the business of, is in the business, I should say, of protection and investigations, not in commissioning vehicles to block the media's view of the president's golf swing. And a, a big wa a white box truck parked in front of those hedges trying to obscure our shot of President Trump golfing. Now, this may seem trivial, but it is important to get video of the president as he does these. So, Dan, you're in West Palm Beach. Uh, you're traveling with the president. And as I understand, he's play he played another round of golf today. CNN got video of the president playing golf for the last few days. But I understand something different happened today. What was it? <laughs> You know, our job down here is to cover the president, to tell our viewers what he is doing on a daily basis. Over the last few days, we've gotten video of the president golfing at his nearby golf club uh, here in West Palm Beach. Uh, there is a break in the hedges, really. The, the president, Trump, president doesn't really, and his staff doesn't really tell us when he is golfing. And we have taken to, you know, going outside the golf course and filming him as he golfs through a break in hedges near the club. Uh, today, a big wa a white box truck parked in front of those hedges trying to obscure our shot of President Trump golfing. Now, this may seem trivial, but it is important to get video of the president as he does these things on a daily basis. Uh, and, and it gets to something that is larger. The president and the White House have tried to obscure the fact 
that President Trump golfs on a regular basis. According to our count, he has visited one of his golf courses 87 times as president. Uh, this is a man who ran for president, who criticized uh, President Barack Obama regularly for golfing during his presidency, but that criticism hasn't continued into the Trump presidency. President Trump has regularly visited these golf courses that he owns, and White House aides have been uh, hesitant to ever confirm that he is golfing, and, and, and this box truck and the video that, uh, that we have is yet another example of the White House uh, trying to obscure the fact that he's golfing. We've reached out to the White House, to Secret Service, and to the, uh, the sheriff's officers down here uh, to confirm, was this their truck? What was this part of? Uh, we haven't really gotten many responses back so far, Doc. Wow. That's journalism. <clears throat> that is journalism. It's been noticed that CNN's current priorities seem to be singularly focused. 23 times. 23 times over the past day that CNN has mentioned the white box trucks that obscured the view. Zero for comparison the number of times CNN has mentioned the political report on Obama administration quashing of his Hezbollah investigation, which we're going to cover in our next podcast. Mauling Hemingway. Have we considered whether a truck is somehow blocking the Obama Hezbollah story? Oh, we're going to cover that, boys and girls. Other tweets as the day went on. White box truck, same type of similar box uh, look seen parked at PBSO department. Spokesman for PBSO, T Terry Barber, re related, uh, reiterated to CNN the truck maneuver was not authorized by management of the detail of the sheriff's office. I actually feel sad for CNN. These are the tweets off it. At this point, I think the only way we get CNN off this dump truck story is, well, we tell them there are Hezbollah drug runners released by Obama behind it. Bold reporting. Is the truck loaded with Diet Coke or scoops of ice cream? Investigate. It's important like this to make you guys get silly. And finally, maybe it was just an apple. By the end of the day, spotted. POTUS checked out our cameras. That's on the golf course today as seen through Pete Morris's CNN's lens. Jim Swift. The sample. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's read this one first. Jim Swift. Some CNN reporter is saying Trump needs to get a dog. I love dogs, but this is a dumb idea. Can you imagine the think piece about Trump's dog decision? It'd be so fucking stupid and perfect for 2018. A sample. Why Trump's decision to buy a purebred says what? What? What is what he meant to say? He said why, but what Trump's decision to buy a purebred says about him? Why didn't Trump adopt from a more deserving charity? Of course, Trump's Westie looks like a Klan member. Trump should be praised for not neutering his dog and being pro-life. What message is Trump sending by not walking his dog? Have staff cleaned up after your dog sent a bad message to would-be dog adopters? Donald Trump has ruined dog adoptions. That's pretty much what we have here on CNN. A fucking golf meme again. A golf meme. Obama golf like fucking crazy. We had no fucking problem. Bush golf during war. He doesn't care about the soldiers. Bush had to stop golfing. Trump golfs. He is the fucking antichrist and they're shoving cameras through hedges. And then pissed when he blocks them. They put more journalistic effort into finding out where the fucking box truck was then who took to Anderson Cooper's Twitter account and said the president was a tool. I just want to make sure you know that. In 2017, CNN spent more time on a box truck and a dude who made a gif with Trump slamming the CNN logo 
than they did on anything else. They're a fucking joke. Then there's this. It doesn't really fall in the close of the loop, and it didn't fall into the end of the year, but I had to put it somewhere. Sheila Jackson Lee, Democrat Texas, in seat 1A, the one I paid for dearly and the one United gave her without my consent or knowledge. Fellow congressman on same flight said she does it repeatedly. United gave my first class seat to Sheila Jackson, United, not our fault, but SJL escorted on by Uniform United before pre-boarding military babies' disabilities. Fellow congressman, he saw her do it three times. It's embarrassing. The AP reported the United has since apologized to Simon and then has been picked up by a variety of other media outlets. Time, United Airlines apologized after giving passenger seat to a congresswoman. The woman, United, has not apologized to me on December 23rd. A low-level employee at a call center said he was sorry on the phone. Voucher I received was the United's idea of compensation for canceling my flight and giving it to Mrs. Jackson Lee. Please correct your story. So, Representative Lee, who spends her entire time talking about how horrible, horrible it is for the impoverished women of color, takes people's plane seats. Just takes them, motherfuckers. In her statement, Jackson Lee said she overheard Simon speaking with an African-American flight attendant and saw her snap the photo. Since it's not my fault of mine, the way the individual continued to act appeared to me upon reflection because I was an African-American woman, seemingly an easy target along with the African-American flight attendant who was very, very nice, Jackson Lee said in a statement. This saddens me, especially the time of year, given all the things we have to work on to help people. But in the spirit of the season, out of sincerity of my heart, if it is perceived that I had anything to do with this, I kind of, I'm kind enough to simply say sorry. Do you not catch? Oh, she's just mad because I'm black. And she went to a black flight attendant. No, you fucking inconscionably rude bitch. You take people's flights because you think you're entitled. And you know the sad thing about it, Jackson Lee, you fucking freak? That kind of blows your America's racist shit. You're a black entitled senator that can do whatever the fuck she wants and you can boot people off fucking airplanes because you don't have the wherewithal to book a ticket or more importantly, you don't want to ride coach because you're too important. Fucking cuntbag. Then there was this. This does belong in close the loop. Free Beacon, Brzezinski reveals she tried to connect Halpern with his accusers to apologize, laments they don't want to talk to him. MSDNC's Morning Joe co-host Mika Brzezinski revealed Friday that she has tried to connect Margaret Halpern with the women who have accused him of sexual misconduct, saying they don't want to talk to him, and lamenting the hypocrisies here when men are not given the opportunity to apologize for the behavior. One woman with accusations against Halpern, Emily Miller, did not appreciate Brzezinski's action. Emily Miller. This is my joint statement on Mika did on MSDNC this morning. As a journalist and a victim, and this is all signed by this this lady, uh, Diana Pierce Burgess, Katie Glenn, Diane Goldman May, Eleanor McManus, Emily Miller, Laura Skransky, and four other accusers. But this guy jerked off on ferns. But she's a friend of Mika, and he's a good liberal, so fuck it. 
As a journalist and as a victim of sexual assault, we vehemently disagree with Mika Brzezinski's inappropriate comments on Morning Joe on December 23rd. She suggested that women who were assaulted by Mark Halpern owe him an opportunity to meet with him in person so he can apologize face-to-face. Sexual harassment assault is illegal in the workplace and represents a violation of the policy standards of NBC. It is an unethical and harmful request to ask that sexual sexual assault victims confront their accusers in person, and in particular on live TV. Brzezinski pointed out that Mark Halpern should have the chance to validate the truth, and Mr. Halpern feels genuinely remorse and wants to apologize or otherwise try to repair the substantial damage he has done. He can do that in public domain through the full acknowledgement of his wrongdoing and honest account of his departure from ABC News. To unveil Halpern's transgression over three decades required the hard work of professionalism of the same press that holds politicians and world leaders to account. Each one of the cases that have surfaced in the press has been fact-checked, backed up, and contemporaneously sourced. We would ask Brzezinski for higher standards of editorial judgment, compassion, and human decency. Miss Brzezinski and her co-host Scarborough have a long-standing personal friendship with Mark Halpern, which appears to be shaping their position on this case. MSDNC airtime should not be used as a platform for the one-sided rehabilitation of Mark Halpern's reputation or career. Through this well-documented actions, Halpern has demonstrated that he is unfit for the senior role he held in our profession and in the public discourse. We applaud NBC's decision to terminate professional racialism with him as a result. Signed, 10 Victims! Mark Halpern. At the end, this is what Brzezinski had to do. We have been trying our best on Morning Joe to have an honest conversation about sexual harassment and sexual assault. The issue has hit close to home given that Mark Halpern was on our show. I spent a lot of time talking to some of his accusers and to Mark himself to not bring this issue on our show because I think it would be best, would be less than genuine to talk about the growing number of cases without recognizing that a former member of our team acted very badly. In our discussion about sexual harassment this morning, I said some things that hurt people. In the case of Mark, my goal today was to start a conversation about hearing from the men whenever we can, but I realized that is not my place. It isn't my call to make, and for that I am truly sorry. As a victim of sexual assault, I understand that each blah, 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 blah. If we just make want to strike people down for pol- political motivation or for anger, we're not going to get anywhere. I know I just said something incredibly, what's the word, explosive? Joe Scarful, truthful, I like your vagina. Brzezinski, butt, Scarborough, truthful, I like your boobs. It has nothing to do with anything other than that motherfucking piece of shit's got a D behind his name. He's got a motherfucking D behind his fucking name so he can do whatever the fuck he wants and those bitches just need to get over it. Need to get the fuck over it. You fucking people. And since we've had Rosie O'Donnell, we gotta go into the Rosie O'Donnell thing. Two things happened this week. That she got away with. Number one, she bribed senators and told them that she'd give them a million or two million dollars if they'd vote against the tax bill. And then she told Ben Shapiro to suck her dick. Which I'm sure she has. I'm almost positive she does. She's probably a eunuch. She's got one of each. So initially they did nothing. And from an article, Ben reporter tweets, Twitter originally stated that she had not broken any TOS. Again, typical. But now it seems Twitter is at second thoughts. Hello. You've received two emails from us about your recent report. The first email stated that tweets were not in violation of our policies, when in fact they are, based on our Twitter rules. 
We have inquired that the reported tweets be deleted, and they have since been removed. We appreciate your patience and apologize for any inconvenience. Ben Shapiro, well, it looks like Twitter had some second thoughts about Rosie's obscene tweets. Her fans, oh, they didn't like that. Deleting the tweets without removing the offender is a shallow victory. Ben may never recover from these vicious attacks. Rosie, sad, isn't it? Poor Ben 12 and all so upset, in fact, that she shared a screenshot of her interaction with Twitter support. Yeah, but they just deleted the tweets. A conservative would have been placed in timeout. And here's what they said to her. What happened? We've determined this account violated the Twitter rules. Violating rules against abusive behavior. You may not engage in target harassment of someone or incite other people. Ben Shapiro, undying Jesus, lick me to Ben. Because that was the second one. <clears throat> what you can do. To unlock your account, you must do the following. Delete tweets that violate our rules. But you think you made a mistake? Contact our support team. Mm-hmm. She then went back on the Ben is 12 years old. Rosie, it's sad to use your platform to bully and to be vile. Do better with what the Lord has blessed you with, because if not, you will lose it all. It's not too late. Turn it around. The celebrity cult thinking is imploding, and celebrity president is being used to expose and implode it. Well, that didn't go too well. She lost her mind. She's, she, all day she went with 12. He's 12 years old. And to the first part, did she break the law? Well, it, these are the tweets. So how about this? I promised to give $2 million to Senator Susan Collins, $2 million to Jennifer, uh, Senator Flake if they vote no. Next one. No, I will not kill Americans with the super rich. $2 million each in cash. Next up was Boston Jane who started that O'Donnell just committed a felony. So she lost all chances of running for office. Because people were asking her to run for office. The liberal activists fired back with another blunt, vulgar, you're a dumb shit. In an article for Mediate, Celeb Arkarma quoted a section of 18 U.S. 201B, which states, you can't bribe them. So yeah, she broke the law. She got away with it. She told people to suck her dick and lick me and got away with it. And that's Twitter in 2017. It's not going to change in 2018. As a liberal, you can do whatever the fuck you want. As a liberal, you can sexually harass and we're just going to give you a pass because there's a whole bunch of people now pushing for fucking Franken not to resign because he's a D. D's can do whatever they want in our media and our social media. So, that's closing the loop. Let's go into our segment the segment, a year in review, and it's pretty much media craziness. And I can't not start with a montage from our media that started in 2016, but went up to the end of 2016, so it's very apropos. Trump can't win. Donald Trump. Just last week, he confirmed to the National Review that he is again considering a run in 2016. Do it. Do it. Look at me. Do it. I will personally write your campaign check now on behalf of this country, which does not want you to be president, but which badly wants you to run. Donald Trump has been saying that he will run for president as a Republican, which is surprising since I just assumed he was running as a joke. 
is that people think that Donald Trump is a clown. Do Donald, Donald Trump is a clown. I mean, does anybody seriously think that Donald Trump is serious about running for president? Donald Trump, you know, he's a clown. The likely moderator yeah. apparently, apparently believes that Donald Trump is a clown. Which Republican candidate has the best chance of winning the general election? Of the declared ones right now, Donald Trump. <laughs> President Obama will go down as perhaps the worst president in the history of the United States, exclamation point, at real Donald Trump. Well, at real Donald Trump, at least I will go down as a president. So basically, this is the beginning of the end for Trump. The beginning of the end. Beginning of the end? This is probably starting of the beginning of the end for, for Donald Trump. Donald, uh, you're not going to be able to insult your way to the presidency. The strongest person usually isn't the loudest one in the room. So right now we have Hillary's about a 75 or an 80 percent favorite. We have different versions of forecasts you can look at. Paul has Hillary Clinton up by double digits nationally, 12 points, 50 to 38, four-way race. Clinton leading in Florida, Clinton leading in North Carolina, Clinton leading in Ohio, Clinton leading in Nevada. I could go on and on and on. Uh, I continue to believe Mr. Trump will not be president. And so, right now, Mr. Trump, to answer your call for political honesty, I just want to say, you're not going to be president, all right? It's been fun. It's been great. I love you. But, but, but come on, come on, buddy. We have a major projection right now. Donald Trump will take Ohio. That's the end project. Donald Trump will carry the state of Florida. Huge win for Donald Trump. Donald Trump, while we project, will win in Kentucky with Indiana with its 11 electoral votes. West Virginia, Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi, South Carolina, Alabama, North Dakota uh, with its three electoral votes, and South Dakota, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, the state of Montana, North Carolina, Georgia, Iowa, Utah, Wisconsin, Arizona, Kansas with its six electoral votes, Nebraska with its five electoral votes, and Wyoming with its three electoral votes. Sorry to keep you waiting, complicated business. Holy shit! You're awake, by the way. You're not having a terrible, terrible dream. Also, you're not dead and you haven't gone to hell. This is your life now. This is our election now. This is us. This is our country. It's real. This is the time for real wisdom. Lightning round. If Trump wins, how about bursting into tears and screaming fuck for the next 45 minutes? Well, America is crying tonight. I'm not sure how much of America, but a very, very significant portion. And I mean literally crying. Everybody is crying and so upset. And it is the end of their world. Feels like the end of the world. We were on uh, Lifetime last right. night. And I was uh, slowly getting drunk is what happened to me. How do we explain how this is possible? How did this happen? Experienced politician versus racist fake gynecologist. Get your abortions now. Because <laughs> we're going to be fucked and we're going to have to live with it. You're awake, by the way. You're not having a terrible, terrible dream. Also, you're not dead and you haven't gone to hell. This is your life now. This is our election now. This is us. This is our country. This is a different earth yeah. today than it was 24 hours ago. It's a different place uh because it just is different. The woman who President Obama called the most qualified person ever to run for the White House couldn't break through. The question remains, 
Who can? Deeper concerns tonight that the world's shining light of democracy has gone dark. Decency lost last night, and that's what's so uh, hurtful about this. This was a white lash. This was a white lash against a changing country. It was a white lash against a black president in part. And that's the part where the pain comes. I kind of push back against the advancement of African Americans, of Hispanics, of women, of Muslim Americans. It is a, a mourning moment for, for those people, uh, and it is, it is a moment filled with fear. Because I'm on this network and people know my attitudes about things. They come up to me and they're scared, depressed, despair, desperate even. Um, almost clinging to me. It was a rough night for everybody, I think. Um, yeah, we're worried. The people are worried. You know, okay, he's the president. Now what? It feels like we're trying to avoid the apocalypse and half of the country is voting for the asteroid. Is there a doomsday plan for a time like this? Am I right to ask about a doomsday plan? Do you see this as a doomsday scenario? So if Donald Trump is democratically elected and your son is serving as a Marine, you wouldn't trust his life under that commander-in-chief? And Kane said... I wouldn't. That's a pretty extraordinary thing to say uh, if you have a son in the Marine Corps and that you don't trust the commander in chief. The people in the military defend the Constitution. I can't put I, I cannot put a, a, a I can't put a happy face on that. And, and that's my job. This is the first time throughout this entire race where I'm officially shitting my pants. <laughs> I, I genuinely do not understand how America can be this disorganized or this hateful. How do you govern when your whole campaign was built on the hatred of somebody else? From slavery to, you know, Nazism, we have faced challenges before to who we are as a people. Plus the Supreme Court, who knows where that's going to go. So the only checks and balances we have are us, the view. The best ad campaign, the best ground game. This is a shot against meritocracy, I think, because she merited everything. The normal way you standardize these things, she did what she was supposed yeah, to do to yeah. win. You know, she was Hillary Clinton, the most qualified candidate, the best suited for the job, the best temperament. Now because we're hearing not a good candidate. History is put on hold yet again. We have no idea who won. And to cover our bases, we take two different show opens. First up, Here's the outcome I'm hoping for. Hillary Clinton is the next president of the United States. <laughs> 270 being the magic number on the Electoral College. Bob, you've been on the phone dialing around. What, did you, what have you heard? Well, I can't find a single Republican. I talked to probably 12 Republican senators yesterday or, or their representatives. Uh, I couldn't find a single one who now thinks they're going to win. They were think, saying things like, look, we, we realized a couple of weeks ago that, you know, that we were, we were not going to win, but now we may win by, we may lose by historic proportions. I mean, something that will, uh, one person said to me yesterday that could affect the Republican Party for generations to come. I'm not sure the Republican Party is going to survive. I continue to believe Mr. Trump will not be president. It's not hosting a talk show or a reality show. So that means that, means that no scenario that we could lay out to get Donald Trump to 270 electoral votes. Tell us why Pennsylvania is impossible for Trump. It's the Easter Bunny, okay? It doesn't exist. <laughs> He's going to walk out of southeastern Pennsylvania, Philly, and those three suburban counties, Delaware, Montgomery, Bucks, 
she's going to have north of 500,000 margin. There's just numerically not enough vote to pick up. Has that you know, Willie, we predicted that Trump could win the Republican nomination. We predicted that Marco Rubio, at least, uh, I don't want to associate too many people with me because it made a lot of people angry, but I predicted that Marco Rubio's campaign was never going to go anywhere. Uh, and predicted about a month ago that Donald Trump could actually, if you look at the industrial Midwest, a lot of sort, Donald Trump could actually win the general election. That prediction is pulled off the table for me. I was eating breakfast with my kids this morning before I went to go vote. And they're both so excited at the idea that a girl could be present. The idea of Donald Trump beating the person who is could be the first female president. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Doesn't get any worse than that's that. Right, that's right. And as I was waiting in line, there were two older white guys. They're, they're behind me, and in the span of five minutes, they badmouth Latinos loudly and very transparently. Badmouth Latinos, Muslims, and black people, okay? And I just couldn't take it anymore. And I just turned around and I told them to shut the F up. We wouldn't have experienced that before. Like that kind of open That's right. hatred where you feel emboldened enough to talk like that about three groups of people in the country that are different from you. And, and it just, it scares me. I don't want to live in a country like that. Yeah. There was only two guys we'd ever banned in TYT history, and one of them was Donald Trump, way before he ran this time around. Yeah. And he broke us on that, to be fair. I mean, in terms of the uh, the popular vote, would be always always would be kind of close. But the electoral vote won't be close at all. I think he's going to win by, well, I think Hillary will have 320 electoral votes when it's all said and done, plus or minus five. You got a Latina. You yeah. have to today. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, it turns out... Uh, you guys uh, might make all the difference. <laughs> Look, this election is over, okay? Mm -hmm. Trump cannot win. We actually have some actual election results. And in and fact, Trump is now taking the lead. He's taking the lead. <laughs> in, taking wait, where? In Florida. Okay. And so, come on, stop doing this every two seconds. Yeah, I agree. Ourselves. It got quiet in here the minute we started reporting these real results. Yep. And uh, and if that continues, there is going to be a pall in here. Um, oh, I don't even want, I mean, I, I think. Where are you? I would cry. I would literally cry. Yeah. I'm not even. Hold on, this is serious. So the calculation that the New York Times has had is a running prediction of winning the presidency. Last time I glanced at it, John, I don't know if you've been looking at that win presidency meter mm -hmm. below the states, no, below no. the map. Well, it was, oh, yes. it was at 80% an hour ago for Clinton. What is it now? 68%. Okay, uh, God damn it, I'm nervous. God damn it, if we need Florida, are you shitting me? Okay, yeah, I don't see a fucking landslide here. I don't see it at all. The New York Times forecasted who's likely to win. Uh, Donald Trump, now the favorite to win the presidency. Oh! 51%. Uh, Jesus! Uh, this is the most haunting thing I have ever had, uh, we've ever had uh, on the Young Turks. I can't even believe how this is going so far. And this is why I don't obsess about the polls. Hey, as we were talking, 54% chance that Donald Trump wins. They moved while we were talking. It just moved again. 55% chance Donald Trump is going to win right now. Stop saying the number. 61% chance of winning this for Donald Trump. This is insane. Talk about 
how historically pathetic the Democratic Party is. That they let this guy, who has never had any success in business, he's had a track record of monumental failure. And they let him... How do we explain how this is possible? How did this happen? Experienced politician versus racist fake gynecologist. Get your abortions now. Because we're going to be... terrible dream. Also, you're not dead and you haven't gone to hell. This is your life now. This is our election now. This is us. Sorry to keep you waiting, complicated business. So one year ago, that's where we were. He can't win. He wins the election. And then we go into 2017. And as we'll see with our media plays, they still believe that. And I, and I know I played sound bites 2016, but that's pretty much the framework with which 2017 has run out. And I'd be remiss if I did not play the celebrity reactions to Donald Trump. Early voting begins two weeks from tomorrow in Ohio. With that in mind, actress Deborah Messing spoke at a Hillary Clinton campaign event in College Hill today. Messing, best known for the TV show Will and Grace, along with many other shows and movies, urged Clinton supporters to get out the vote because Ohio is absolutely critical. I believe in Hillary. I believe that Hillary Clinton is uh, the most prepared, most qualified person to get in there on day one and serve as commander-in-chief. She has the experience. She has the temperament. She has the heart. She wants to fight for everybody. The latest polling average from Real Clear Politics shows Donald Trump with a slight lead in Ohio, but it's within the margin of error, so basically a tie. This is for Hillary. Like a small boat on the ocean, sending big waves into motion. Like I was single, can make a heart open. I might only have one match, but I can make an explosion. And all those things I didn't say, wrecking balls inside my brain. I'm dreaming.
so blatantly stupid. He's a punk. He's a dog. He's a pig. He's a con, a bullshit artist, a mutt who doesn't know what he's talking about, doesn't do his homework, doesn't care, thinks he's gaming society, doesn't pay his taxes. He's an idiot. Colin Powell said it best. He's a national disaster. He's an embarrassment to this country. It makes me so angry that this country has gotten to this point, that this fool, this bozo, has wound up where he has. He talks how he wants to punch people in the face. Well, I'd like to punch him in the face. This is somebody that we want for president? I don't think so. What I care about is the direction of this country. And what I'm very, very worried about is that it might go in the wrong direction with someone like Donald Trump. If you care about your future, vote for it. On Tuesday, November 8th, this country will make one of the most important, the most important, the most important decisions in its history. And the only way we can prove that to you is by having lots of famous people. Lots of famous people. Lots and lots of famous people. Just a ton of famous people. Repeating how important. 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 How important it is. Register. 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 Vote. People. But you only get this many famous people together if the issue is one that truly matters to all of us. A disease or... Ecological crisis or... A racist, abusive coward who could permanently damage the fabric of our society. And if you do vote and help protect this country from fear and ignorance... Mark will do a nude scene in his next movie? Mark Ruffalo... Mark Ruffalo... Mark Ruffalo will do a nude scene in his next movie. Wait, what? What? Mark... We'll do a nude scene. Mark's going to have a scout. Full Monty. Full Marky. No, no, no. No, no, no. Go to savetheday.vote. Where nobody talked about. Save the day. Make Mark be naked. By making your mark on November 8th. They should just vote because it matters, you know? Don't you think? Guys, I know today has been a crazy day. Uh, some people are sad, some people are scared and nervous. My job is to come out here every night and try to make you laugh and take your mind off of things for a while. So I hope that no matter how you're feeling, you can turn on the Tonight Show and we'll be uh, here to spread some joy and put a smile on your face. That's what we try to do. I made you really care this sh- There's no way around it. This, um, this is what it feels like when America is made great again. I, uh, I was wondering and, uh... I was really hoping it would feel better, because this sucks. Now, if you're like me, the implications of this have been hitting you in waves. One minute you're numb, and the next minute you realise that Donald Trump, this man, will soon have access to the nuclear codes. It was a, it was a rough night for everybody, I think. Um, yeah, we're worried. The people are worried. You know, okay, he's the president, now what? And I think, I guess the message that I want to, like, spread out to other women is is exactly what you're saying, is not to give up. Sorry, I hate crying on camera, but is not to give up because this is so important. And it's, it's easy to say, throw in the towel on that, we're going to leave. Stop it. Anybody but Donald Trump. Anyone. We are not going to be okay. You are this close to handing Trump ultimate power on this planet are you insane you pathetic losers do i have to tell them not to be afraid they're afraid i would tell them don't be afraid i mean do you want to say that i've been very vocal for my support for everyone besides donald trump heavily supported bernie heavily supported hillary and i still think that 
in her lifetime she deserves to be the first female president. And that's what makes me so sad. People have spoken. Donald Trump will be the next president, the 45th president of the United States. And it will be up to him to set up a team that he thinks will serve him well and reflect his policies. And uh, those who didn't vote for him have to recognize that that's how democracy works. That's how uh, this system operates. Republican members of the Electoral College, this message is for you. As you know, our founding fathers built the Electoral College to safeguard the American people from the dangers of a demagogue and to ensure that the presidency only goes to someone who is, to an eminent degree, endowed with the requisite qualifications. An eminent degree. Someone who is highly qualified for the job. The Electoral College was created specifically to prevent an unfit candidate from becoming president. There are 538 members of the Electoral College. You and just 36 other conscientious Republican electors can make a difference by voting your conscience on December 19th and thereby shaping the future of our nation. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. As you know, the Constitution gives electors the right to vote for any eligible person. Any eligible person, no matter which party they belong to. But it should certainly be someone you consider especially competent. Especially competent to serve as President of the United States of America. By voting your conscience, you and other brave Republican electors can give the House of Representatives the option to select a qualified candidate for the presidency. I stand with you. I stand with you. I stand with you. I stand with you in support and solidarity with conservatives, independents, and liberals. And all citizens of the United States. The American people trust that your voice speaks for us all. And that you, you will make yourself heard through the constitutional responsibility granted to you by Alexander Hamilton himself. What is evident is that Donald Trump lacks more than the qualifications to be president. He lacks the necessary stability. And clearly the respect for the constitution of our great nation. You have position. The authority. And the opportunity to go down in the books as an American hero. Who changed the course of history. And you have my respect. You have my respect. You have my respect. For your patriotism. And service to the American people. Unite for America. My name is Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd is here. I am a feminist. And I want to say hello to Independence Avenue in the back. All the way down to 17th Street. Wow. And I bring you words from Nina Donovan, a 19-year-old in Middle Tennessee, and she has given me the privilege of telling you what she has to say. I... I'm a nasty woman. 
I'm not as nasty as a man who looks like he bathes in Cheeto dust. I mean, when the director was asked about the film, why it was so dark, he said it's a mad time to be alive. And there's certainly a sort of end of days feeling about it. There are many people in America who would say, you know, perhaps it's truer there at the moment than anywhere else. It's scary. Um, you know, it's this new language that's forming. It's, I, I don't even recognize it. It's also scary to know that climate change is due to human activity and we continue to ignore it and the only voice that we really have is through voting um, so and you have voted at, very recently as a country and it was really startling um, you know you're watching these hurricanes now and it's really it's hard especially while promoting this movie not to not to feel mother nature's rage wrath and it's not just about climate change, though, is it, in America? I mean, it's, it seems to be a time of huge division. Yeah. It's, it's really polarizing and upsetting. You know, I've, I've, I've heard things and seen things on TV in my own country that devastate me and make me sick. And um, it's just really confusing. Do you find President Trump confusing? I don't find him confusing. I, I think I know exactly what he is. And so how do you feel about the future? I have to feel hope. You know, you have to feel hope. You can't just fall into despair. But a producer on the movie called this film an impotent howl of rage. You know, it's just, it's like a helpless howl to the moon. It's like, it's just, and it's an assault. Hillary Clinton made a surprise appearance to honor Katy Perry at last night's UNICEF ball in Manhattan. On a personal level, I cannot tell you how delighted I am to be here to help celebrate the recipient of this year's Audrey Hepburn Humanitarian Award, someone who just has the spirit and the energy and the compassion that Audrey Hepburn brought to her work for UNICEF. Katy Perry, congratulations and thank you so much. All year our celebrities have gone full in that Trump's the devil, he shouldn't win, and they have supported over and over protests. We heard... The pussy hat herself, Ashley Judd. And before we play a great rebuttal to all the Antifa craziness, New York Times' Paul Krugman ended the year with this. Pink pussy hats are the symbol of our delivery from evil. Early this year, the commentator David Frum warned that the slide into authoritarianism would be unstoppable. If people retreat into private life, if critics grow quieter, if cynicism becomes endemic. But so far, that hasn't happened. What we've been, what we've seen instead is the emergence of a highly energized resistance. That resistance made itself visible literally the day after Trump took office with the huge women marches that took place January 21st, dwarfing the thin crowds at the inauguration. If American democracy survives this ter terrible episode, I vote that we make the pink pussy hat the symbol of our delivery from evil. Krugman began by proclaiming Trump is just as horrible as expected. 
Donald Trump has been every bit as horrible as one might have expected. He continues day after day to prove himself utterly unfit for the office, morally and intellectually. And the Republican Party, including so-called moderates, turns out, if anything, to be worse than one might have expected. Then I stop from there. During this year, we have had people go crazy about everything but Antifa, Vox, or was it Salon? What's the difference? Year of the alt-right as 2017 ends, it's less visible but still building a movement. The interesting thing is anybody who did anything on the alt-right served justice, served time if they stepped out of the bounds of normal decorum. Tim Kaine's son, well, he was just sent into probation this week for the post-Trump rally arrest. Because he's important. And I think you can sum up... 2017 with a picture that I will post with this podcast. Oh, that's a new clock I got for Christmas. Do you hear in the background? Isn't that cute? I forgot I was going to go off right now. By the way, I got to ask Santa. Thank you very much, Santa. I got a new sound amp, and I'm trying to position today. And for those that listen to the show, I'd really request an email. Does it sound okay? A kind of rotated stuff. I don't know if the echo is worse or better. Um, a little feedback would work great. I got the uh, sound research sound dampener wall. It is very nice. Uh, very beautiful dark black with professional sound dampening. Um, and I put it up where the monitor was. So you think it sounds worse, tell me, and I'll rotate everything, put the monitors back on the monitor shelf, put the sound dampener back on the bottom. I think that might be the choice I'm going to have to do uh, on the playback. But for today, I, I don't have enough time to remove anything. But anyway, back to the segment. <clears throat> there's a picture from one of the protests, and there's a garbage can on fire. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and even twenty reporters taking a picture of the dumpster on fire. That pretty much sums up twenty seventeen right there. Anything anti Trump, they flock to it. They just flock to it. And that is just fucking pathetic. But there was some reason in it. Here's a Tucker segment that, to me, surmises what I think of 2017 with the Antifa. And here's something new. More than 70% of anti-Trump protesters arrested in Portland, Oregon last week did not vote in the state of Oregon. KGTV dug into state election records, and good for them, and found that at least 79 of the 112 people taken into custody during those demonstrations were either not registered to vote in Oregon or did not cast a ballot there in the 2016 election. The Portland protests spanned five nights and devolved into violent riots that caused more than a million dollars worth of property damage and scared the hell out of everybody. Here now with his thoughts on that is Fox News roaming correspondent, a man who has roamed far and wide across the fruited plain, our friend Geraldo Rivera. So, Geraldo, are you, I got to say, I'm probably less appalled by this than you are because I think you've got a right to protest even if you don't vote, but you disagree. Well, first of all, I hope that our interview goes as smooth as your interview with Dr. Emanuel that preceded this. You can't blame the Republicans for a law they didn't have anything to do with. I'm sorry. True, true. I'm sorry. And I, I also have to say congratulations on the big, big show here. And uh, I love your confirmation haircut. 
You know, it's really working for you. <laughs> That's me. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, listen, I, I don't, uh, like you, I, I believe that uh, I have nothing against protests per se unless you inconvenience innocent people grievously or break other people's stuff. I, I was a renowned or notorious protest, however you want to characterize it, 1968, 1969, 1970, civil rights, anti-war. Uh, so there is a, you know, a, a perfectly American tradition of nonviolent uh, protest. What happened in Oregon, though, was despicable. It was thuggery. It was people uh, who not only didn't vote, uh, some of them probably voted for Jill Stein or, or uh, uh, Gary Johnson, just as bad or almost as bad. Uh, not only that, they were, ironically, the bitter irony, they were breaking stuff in a city and in a state that went overwhelmingly for Hillary Clinton and against right. Donald Trump. So they, they had no logic to what they did. I think there are protesters with a specific beef in this country, Tucker, and you and I could have this discussion anytime you want. I think that these DREAM Act students who now are threatened with deportation, uh, even after President Obama gave them a, a deferent, uh, deferral from uh, deportation, I think that those kids have a right to protest because they are living in abject terror now that their lives are going to be disrupted. But protesters but not, who don't but vote not, or I mean, break just to be stuff, totally clear, you'll concede that the president's order was illegal, A, and B, they're not citizens. So it's a little weird. Like if I showed up and pick a country in Latin America and said, I'm staying here and I'm going to take taxpayer-subsidized services, and if you don't like it, I'm going to throw a, a rock through the window of Starbucks, people would say that's kind of unreasonable, actually. Well, you're well, not really well I, to be here I have seen place. no ruling that the initial 700,000 uh, young people who were brought here as children by their parents through no fault of their own and have lived right. law-abiding lives here in the United States. I've seen no ruling that that was either unconstitutional or uh, illegal. There is a stay on the expansion of the program to their parents by one federal court judge in Texas that has been affirmed by the United States okay. Supreme Court, but it has we, to be we, litigated. We, but what the about these kids, the though? Think in, uh, humanistically about these children now. Well, I feel for every one of them. I, They're going back to a country they've never seen, at least I, in their conscious I, memory. I get it, but here's, here's my macro problem with this. The real concern of American politicians ought to be American citizens. That's who they're elected to watch out for. And yet on the left, their main concern seems to be people who are not here legally. So it's like, where are your sympathies? I mean, there are American citizens whose lives are affected negatively by the presence of people here illegally. It doesn't mean people here illegally are bad people, but it means your number one priority is looking out for your people, American I, I, citizens. Again, I, and reject, on the left, I reject your, your contention that they impact the lives of citizens negatively. Oh, That's not on. the way I see it. The vast majority of the people who voted for Donald Trump live in areas where undocumented immigrants do not reside. They, okay, they, most of them have never had a, any kind of... Uh, interaction with an undocumented okay, immigrant, let's, and let's certainly be, not I mean, these children. These are let's students, be reasonable. by and I'm not against the children, and I feel these for are them, American actually. kids I, uh, in, in every way, shape, or form, Tucker. But, but let's be totally the real. the accident of their birth. If all of a sudden your kid's school finds itself flooded with people who don't speak the language, doesn't mean they're bad people. They can be great people. They probably are great people. But it's a massive drain on resources, and all of a sudden they're canceling gym and music, and your kid's experience becomes less good necessarily because there's a limited pool of resources so all, like to all say I that do there's no consequence of this is just wrong it's silly this, this is the town honest. i was born in i was born on this island manhattan island there are 500,000 right. undocumented immigrants in the five boroughs of the city you never hear about them 
You never hear about them. Why? Because they don't commit these flamboyant crimes. They are people that mind their business. They work hard. They deliver pizza at 2 o'clock. In the and, in the morning on and a February, uh, you know, in the wind blowing up your pants. I mean, I think that you have to have a balanced. Compa I like Donald Trump. I, I've known him forever. I wish him every success in the world. But I think now is the time for him to reassure people these aren't the people that he's talking about but when he's building second. his wall or he, he is his deportation force. Okay, these I are get these it, are kids. But what about, I mean, why do you think that Trump got the overwhelming majority of working class voters? Because they're the ones whose lives are affected by the because presence of people gin up the fears. People like Stephen King in Iowa, starting right at the get-go of the presidential race, right. they make these people into boogeymen that, 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 the, uh, that the voter okay. can first put all, all their fears all, and all their loathing on these people. people as I'm sorry. I'm, I'm calling PC on you. No more boogeymen, boogie people. We're out of time, unfortunately. It's great to see you. Roman, you Geraldo. Good luck, man. Good luck. Thanks. You know, I'm a I big appreciate fan. it. I think that's pretty apropos to our country right now. Most of the people who are throwing the biggest fit didn't even vote. We're never politically active. But like straight edge... The transgender shit. It's just a fad. Hate Trump. Then with the media that just loves themselves and hates Trump, it's not hard to figure out that over time people are just getting brainwashed. So before we go into all our stuff, here's an MTP segment from last weekend where they congratulate themselves and say the media has really done well this year. All right, let's start with a, a simple question. We were here last year. There was a lot of optimism here that the media's reputation would improve. Okay, I'm going to start with the most outsider of everybody at this group. How has the media's reputation improved as far as the people in Orlando are concerned? Well, I think most people in Orlando would probably say no, but you're just repeating certain things. If you say the Washington Post or the New York Times, I don't think most people in Orlando read those newspapers, so you're regurgitating what somebody else thinks. As somebody who observes these things, I think the reputation of the press has gone way up. Three major newspapers now can say they've got a million-plus paid subscribers. That is uh, historic. Mm -hmm. And the fact that people are deciding, you know, we'll pay 10 bucks a month for our Netflix, but actually we're going to pay 10 bucks a month for Washington Post or the New York Times is a positive thing. Yeah, they've improved this year. Here's just a short list. CNN twists innocent Don Jr. email to a scandal. New York Times almost entirely wrong about Russia report. CNN pathetic Putin prediction was all wrong. ABC Flynn misrepresenting causes drop in stock market. The Mooch gets an apology from CNN. Bloomberg botches his Deutsche Bank scoop. CNN quietly walks back session scandal. CNN broke another flawed thing by talking about bullshit that didn't matter. Republicans did not fund the dossier. Comey testimony undermined CNN reporting. And I said did not fund because they said they did, but then they found out they didn't. Comey testimony undermines CNN reporting. Media outlets push 17 intel agency lie. NBC nothing burger about Manafort notes. New York Times fear mongers over publicly available climate report. Reports on fake news are actually fake news. They did so well that Pew did a survey. Trump media three times more negative than for Obama. Just... 5% positive. 
The Pew Research said that the early coverage of Trump was 62% negative. Obama's was 20. 20. He has the most negative of anybody. Bush had uh, 28% negative. Obama, 20. Clinton, 20. Trump, 62% negative. All they've done is go after Trump from inauguration night and they not stopped. CNN is running box truck stories to discredit the president and filling him through hedges to say something negative because he golfs. Even though Obama golfed, Bush golfed, Clinton golfed, Reagan golfed, Bush won golfed, everybody golfed. Come on, people. You can be better. So a couple year of reviews by news agencies. Yahoo, from Confefe to Hollyweird, Weird News grabs headlines of 2017. Whole long thing on Confefe. And then they went through um, Los Angeles Residents woke New Year's Day to find the four-story white letters of Hollywood to be Hollyweed. Austin police were tipped off to an illegal brothel when hundreds of condoms clogged a sewer pipe. <laughs> U.S. Customs and Border Protection agents were spared a spine-chilling surprise when a California man was arrested in July for trying to smuggle three king cobra snakes in a chip canister. Uh, back in the political arena, auction, octogenarian ex-con New Jersey politician revived her burlesque act at a May fundraiser, although she kept her clothes on. Former Jersey City Deputy Mayor Leon Valdini danced like a whore. Animal stories of Catch of the Public. Millions watched via a webcam as in April as a giraffe gave birth. I remember that. Um, that was interesting. New species of insect. The Neopal Donna Trimpe is native to Southern California. Mexican Baja, California is likely capable of flying over the proposed border wall with Mexico. That's how they end of theirs. Then there was a cultural winner and losers. Loser, the National Football League. We'll have a little bit more on that, but the ratings took a dramatic 9% dump because they're jackasses. Winner, pro basketball, hockey, and baseball. Somehow all the other sports avoid a flag-hating controversy because they have owners who won't put up with it. Loser, Planned Parenthood, the dead baby parts-selling conglomerate that commits a third of the nation's abortion, each year celebrates the 100th anniversary by honoring Hillary Clinton as his champion of change. Hillary boldly predicted that to preserve abortion rights, religious beliefs would have to be changed, but the changes aren't going their way. Planned Parenthood closed 32 clinics in 2017. In the age of Trump, a winner was a handmade tale for all those resistance people. I'm never going to watch it. Winner, Harvey Weinstein's victim. Loser, Kathy Griffith. Loser, Al Gore. Only made $3.5 million on his inconvenient sequel truth bullshit. Another winner was an Emoji Move movie that I didn't watch. And reruns was a winner in 2017. They say that in April, ABC's annual showing of the Ten Commandments had 5 million viewers. In December, the 50th anniversary special of Carol Burnett got 15 million viewers. That's pretty cool. So now we go into the media stuff. Six kooky moments on MSDNC. Number one, Bob Corker is a profile encouraging Ms. GOP's endless funeral. Those are actually statements. Two, duo swoons over far-left San Juan Mayor D.C. Do we remember that? 
How somehow when there's no power, she got customized shirts. Hmm. That girl went away quick, didn't she? Number three, protest athletes filled the vacuum of American morality under Trump with Colin Kaepernick occupying the seventh spot. Wallace and Williams praised the national anthem protests at NFL games. Williams bemoaned those against the kneelers, fretting that the action was seen as somehow anti-veteran, anti-troop fighting overseas. It was never about our people in uniform. On cue, Wallace agreed, telling the leftist protest as a sign of American athletes becoming country's moral arbiters. And you know... What agrees? Most people in uniform, and I think in this vacuum, and I think it's safe just to assert that the Trump presidency, there's a morality vacuum, a leadership vacuum in our national politics. So it's Trump's fault people disrespect the flag. Nice. Four, McCain thumbed down Obamacare, shows his scope of history. Later, they hated McCain. Five, Williams Fretz news media has been under constant fire. They went on a whole thing about how hard it is to be a press person. Six, uh, Mueller is a perfect nemesis for Trump. Bemoan vicious assaults against Mueller. So that's your MSNBC, and you're going to hear a lot of them, because here we go. MRC put together a lot of outrageous quotes. We start with Mr. Tingly Legs. Most important part about this, this was the year of sexual harassment. Sexual harassment. This man is still on the air. In this soundbite, he is fawning over Obama and instantly saying Pocahontas is the second coming of Christ. Let me finish tonight with the American president we're about to lose. Barack Obama is, above all, a fine man. Just look at him. Is there a husband, a father that we would wish more as a model for our sons, for our sons-in-law to have and raise our grandchildren? Is there anyone who carries himself better in word and sentiment and temperament in optimism? Hope. That was the word on that poster. It's the feeling he exemplified today in his last press briefing. He talked about being proud of raising patriotic daughters, about people being more good than bad, that at his core, he thinks he can, we can be okay. That the only thing that's the end of the world, he said, is the end of the world. Well, this president said all this knowing full well who won this election, who's going to sit next to him in that car right up to Capitol Hill on Friday, who's going to take his place at noon. The only thing that's the end of the world, he said, is the end of the world. He spoke not just as a political leader, but as a man looking to the problems that still divide us. He said we need to imagine being that other person, growing up in the inner city without a job within 20 miles, being that guy stuck out in the country who, too, doesn't have the prospect of a job in some different 20 miles. He talked about imagining being in the other guy's skin, and that's when we'll make progress. But he's not leaving us before saying that we have made progress. He came to office when we were divided by an unpopular war, crushed by a great recession with unemployment heading to 10%. He's leaving us having cut that rate in half and tripled, by the way, the stock market. And by the way, a lesson hopefully learned of no more wars like Iraq. He came in with decades of unfulfilled promises for health care in this country from both parties and met that promise with a program that the incoming president has now made clear he needs to match or better. He came into a country where marriage equality was well over the horizon and brought the LGBT community into the sunlight of recognition, freedom, even because of his own fine goodwill, admiration. To say that no person can make a difference, I give you the fine case of that fine man. Barack Obama. Well, I'm cutting you something I didn't have it planned, and I want to go with this now. Your speaking ability is really thrilling. You have a thrilling, you have a mastery. No, when you're making your point, this is not a comedy act when you're doing it. It's damn good political 
salesmanship. It's it's rhetoric of the best political kind. You get your audience riled up, you get them roused up, they're happy. As Mario Cuomo used to be able to do this, you leave people upbeat about what they can get done at the end of the speech. It's not it's not eating spinach. It's not the stations of the cross. When they're done with you, they're happy. They can go out and fight. All right. That's a good thing. And I hope Thank you're you. smiling because very people have this talent. I yeah. watched Hillary watch you. I know you couldn't see it out of the corner of your eye. Hillary was relieved and thrilled that you could sell the progressive message in a happy, progressive, you know, hopeful way. It doesn't have to be just spinning, cheating, and knew we got to do this. We it isn't all gr grinding it out. It's joyous self-rule. And you seem to know how to do it, so tell me how you sell that to your other progressives out there so it doesn't have to be all be too academic and too miserable. Chris, you're, you're very generous to put it that way, but I want to be clear. I don't sell anything. I just go out and speak from the heart. You yeah. know, for me, all of this is personal. I want to make sure we understand that has not stopped. That's why I started off with Obama love. We are still in 2017, but by a couple days. And throughout 2017, the left is still stuck on Barack Hussein Obama. Understand, when they say they're doing a lot of news reporting, that's because we're doing reporting. Our next show, we're going to start off on the Hezbollah. They're still not reporting on all the dangerous deeds that Barack Hussein Obama did during his presidency. Then The media never reported. So, as they pat themselves on the back and talk about how awesome they are. Most America in the middle of the country pretty much just laugh at you because you didn't report for eight years. Eight years. And tingly legs and the year of sexual harassment shows we're still playing it different. Here's an article that's recent. CNN avoids asking Dan Representative about his misconduct settlement related to sexual assault. Did a whole interview with a Democratic... Senator Gregory Meeks, nobody cared. Oh, he's a representative, I'm sorry. He's in Congress. Nothing. 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 Um, here's some quotes. Embassy contributor Jason Johnson, May 24th in the route. <clears throat> this kind of goes in line with what I'm talking about, how the media has played 2017. America is, at its core, a nasty, venal, selfish, and racist culture. By and large, though, the long arc of history has generally been towards crushing the necks of poor, weak, and especially African-American citizens. Trump supporters still believe that America is ruined, soiled, tainted, and irredeemable. No matter what America says to Trump now, his voters know that she dated a black guy for eight years and she liked it. And she still didn't, she still thinks about him. Trump is a temper tantrum from an electorate that votes out of spite, not hope, anger, not ambition, disdain, not destiny. They just want to make sure they go down swinging. And if that drives the rest of the world off the cliff, so be it. At least the black guy won't be at the steering wheel. That's 2017. They're still upset that a black president couldn't be ruler forever and that we voted for Donald Trump. The American people voted for Donald Trump. And they're still trying to twist in the race hustler industry in our country. And it's an industry. It's just like GLAD in the gay rights industry. It's just a fucking industry that makes money and pushes dog whistles. It's all about the black guys still. So here's some more. One of them is a sexual assaulter, Matt Lauer. And Matto, speaking of the greatest of Obama... Because they couldn't get over him, 
And then we'll segue into still. When they weren't saying it's about Obama and America didn't like the black guy, they were saying Hillary Clinton should have been the next black guy. There was something special in Washington yesterday. It's getting a lot of attention. President Obama surprising his vice president, Joe Biden, with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It's a bond like we've never seen before. The best vice president America's ever had, Mr. Joe Biden. At times, more like a White House buddy movie than a political partnership. Their friendship often reaching a fever pitch on social media. Biden tweeting a photo of a friendship bracelet on the president's birthday. Happy 55th, Barack. A brother to me, a best friend forever. So I'm glad there were no cameras in my apartment yesterday because oh, I was sitting there just oh, crying. Right. Just, I, just, I just burst out so crying when I saw yeah. that moment. It was incredible. He got reelected in 2012, but meanwhile, over the course of his presidency, Democrats lost the House, lost the Senate, lost state legislatures all across the country, got absolutely outmaneuvered in terms of all other levels of political power, while he stayed uh, not only in office, but now is leaving office with an incredibly positive approval rating and is uh, the most respected man in America, if you believe the polling. So his journey has been singular um, in so many ways, for better and for worse, but I think that he'll go down in history as both a consequential and excellent um, president um, viewed from the very beginning of the country until now. I think that his, his economic record alone in terms of saving us from the Great Depression, if that's the only thing you knew about no. him, uh, even if he hadn't been the first African-American president doing it, that alone will put him um, in, the, in the top ten presidents in U.S. history uh, and, and nothing else that anybody ever says about him or nothing else that happens by his successor will ever change that. I think when Barack Obama came into the office, uh, he came in with some very high expectations and surrounded himself with some very smart, intelligent people. And uh, and if you do that and lead by example, uh, you know, in the end, you're going to be scandal free, or, or or at least you will not be tarnished by many scandals. And you know, that's a, that's a, a notch on his belt as he leaves tomorrow. I want to let's put uh, Nick Kristoff's quote up, and I won't read the whole thing, but I'll let the audience read it, and then I'll just I'll read the first part. He says, "We want our children and the world to admire our president, and where Obama is strongest, uh, and Trump is weakest." And then he goes on to say. Uh, at the end, that uh, we as a nation will be more appreciative of a first family that set an impeccable example uh, for all the world. That is a high standard. Do you think that the, the Trump administration can hold that standard? No. It's very hard to set the Barack Obama standard. In my mind, he's like Dwight Eisenhower. He's almost unimpeachable. He is, he is governed with such honesty and integrity. And he's not only leaving with that 60% we keep talking, but a growing reputation. And the legacy of having eight scandal-free years is going to look larger and larger in history because we're already looking at the, the, the bog of what's going to happen in the first months of Trump's presidency. I'm not saying Donald Trump may not be a very successful president, but when you write, rank presidents on ethical standards, Barack Obama's the highest. He's up there with some of our, our really great American leaders. Yeah, and you look at the the and it's it's been carefully. I don't know if it's stagecraft or crafted. Don't you think that the Barack Obama image and of course no scandals. If you look at the picture that the first lady tweeted today, today them looking out on the South Lawn, looking uh, at the monument. Senator, let me test your newfound freedom for a second. I know you disagree with her on just about every major policy issue facing this country, but in terms of protecting our democracy protecting respect for the office of the presidency and protecting our image abroad is it possible in your mind to consider that it would have been better if hillary clinton had won this election would it have been better if she won the election 
I didn't vote for this president uh, at last November. Um, I didn't vote for President Clinton either, or uh, Secretary Clinton either. But uh, second thoughts on that. I, I, I was sure that you were going to win. I mean, let me take you back to so that was night. I. I know. <laughs> I know you are. We were so joyous. We were talking before about yeah. that night when anxiety started yeah. to get to me, right. and um, and I was positive you were going to win. Everyone was, you know. Mm -hmm. And then when they saw that you weren't, and we showed a picture. I went into mourning. I had a veil. This is not I untrue. This is I had a veil. We were people were crying. Yeah. yeah. And then it was like at a certain moment we were on the air. When I realized that you were not going to win, it was like. I felt like I had lost a friend or something. When did you actually connect that point that you were not going to win? Election night. Uh, wow. Was there something that happened? Yes. I mean, and I argue in the book, and I am uh, pleased that other independent uh, analysts have reached the same conclusion. I would have won but for Jim Comey's letter mm -hmm. on October 28th. Well, you know, but it was, you know, why would it have been so close? We have close elections. I mean, that is kind of the reality of our politics right now. Um, but that stopped my momentum, and it really did cause enough people to move away from me. Some of them moved to Trump. Some moved to third parties. Some didn't vote. Uh, but the net effect was pretty clear. So I thought that I had gotten through it. I knew it hurt. Mm -hmm. I got, had no illusions about that. But as you said, Joy, everybody, not just our analysis or our research, right. everybody was saying the same thing. Trump All himself of, thought you were going to win. His yeah. pollsters yeah. and he, because they were seeing the same information we were seeing. So hmm. it was it was a shock. I mean, I, I can't uh, describe it any other way, uh, because what I thought was going to happen is we, it would be a close, hard-fought campaign, but I would win, and then I was really looking forward to and had thought a lot about what I would do. So it wasn't until that night that it really hit me when some of the results came in that were contrary to what we and everybody else thought. Did you cry? Did Bill cry? No. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't cry that night, let me put it that way, um, because, first of all, I, I say in the book, and I write really painfully about what happened that, uh, that night. Um, I, I felt like I had to, uh, you know, be strong for my family and my friends and my supporters. And I hadn't spent any time thinking about a concession speech, so I had to write one and then go oh, deliver it the next uh -huh. day. And it wasn't until that was over and Bill and I got into the back seat of, you know, our car and began to drive that I just felt like, oh, you know, the adrenaline was just gone. To sum up a common theme, which theme one was Obama's the greatest president ever and everybody's racist because we didn't vote for him again or something, this is a Hill reporter, Amy Parnes on PBS Charlie Rose, another sexual harassment. And this was May. May. And today I could pull shit out. She's, Hillary Clinton, one of the smartest people. She'll always be the smartest woman in the room. They still believe it. And during the campaign, we still spilled over to an article from January in 538, how many of Trump supporters really are deplorable. And within this, 
These are things that were stated. Today's question for your consideration, is Hillary Clinton comment that half the Donald Trump supporters fall in the basket of deplorables of racist, sexist, homophobes, and xenophobes? Trump is currently earning about 40% of the national poll, so half of that is about 20% of the electorate. One-fifth. A lot of people are focusing on that number. But before we dive into the data, let's talk about the reaction to the comment. One thing that stood out to me about the press coverage of her comment, and I'm far from the first person to say this, much of the media seemed to be bending over backwards to focus on her comment as a gaffe, rather than considering the content of what she said. This is supposed to be Nate Silver and the unbiased, unvarnished political gurus. People were using the fact that it's hard to measure prejudice, which is true as a reason not to even try. Farah Chadia. I personally think it was a gap, but that doesn't mean allegations of bias are inaccurate. And then they go through this article, this is very lengthy, in January, how it's true. That white Republicans, all unintelligent, they think black people are unintelligent, white people who say blacks lack the motivation to pull us out of poverty, index of negative racial attitudes, and by the end of this article, they pretty much say we are deplorable. So I think that was a theme of 2017. We're all deployable. Deployable. Deplorable. We're horrible human beings. We're racist. And I think that will continue into 2018. Another theme, as we covered briefly, was McCain. So here's a soundbite of how much the media loves McCain because McCain hates Trump. Steve, um, as we always say, the heroes of Watergate were, for the most part, Republicans. At least the, the surprise as it unspooled and the surprise in the end. Um, are you looking for that same thing, of course, coming off last night? Uh, Murkowski, uh, Collins, and McCain in the well of the Senate. Are you looking for Republicans to change their behavior and comments? But with that, it was done. Seven years of talk about repeal and replace done in one hand gesture. Our panel remains with us, and we'll go to Charlie Sykes. Charlie, much was made of that moment, a moment of moral courage, a man staring down his own mortality yet again, not the first time in his life. Uh, but let's also talk about the courage of Murkowski of Alaska and Collins of Maine, because without those two women, there is no moment like that for John McCain. My question to you, is that kind of courage for people uh, cheering them on going to be contagious? I want you all to remember McCain was the Antichrist in 2008. He was a fucking racist. He was supposed to die and one foot in the grave. But they loved him. They loved Jeff Flake, who was also a piece of shit. They loved Corker, who was also a piece of shit. Because the common theme was, anybody who hates Trump is a good person. Now, of course, even though we know he was a pussy hat wearing liberal, we still don't know anything about Vegas. So during the Vegas shooting, the media really came out of their shell. Okay, no, they didn't. They went on their same thing, guns, guns, guns. The shooting in Las Vegas of country music fans, Republican Congressman Steve Scalise on a baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia, brought out the media's hatred for the NRA and gun owners. An Esquire columnist Charles Pierce disgustingly called the Vegas attack a blood sacrifice to the Constitution. Pierce Morgan tweeted, the NRA is killing America. 
First thing, damn those conservatives. Massacre of country music fans equals blood sacrifice to the Constitution. The Constitution is not a pact with the devil, nor is it a suicide pact. It's a formalized legalistic ritual of blood sacrifice. There are some things that we as a society, alas, must tolerate in order to stay true to our founding beliefs and remain free. School children shot to pieces are one of those things. The massacre of country music fans another one of those things. The 273rd blood sacrifice to that one provision of the Constitution this year. Charles Pierce column, if Newton wasn't enough, why would Las Vegas be enough? Here is Pierce Morgan, the NRA card-carrying responsible gun owners are killing America. The NRA is killing America, and those are two tweets. The NRA is soaked in blaze and blood. How does an adherent sleep at night? Joy Reed. Other quotes. Bernie supporters shirts Republicans, so let's blame the GOP. What's more harmful, pulling millings already on the margin, more at risk via draconian policies, or shooting a racist lawmaker in the hip? For violent resistance to work, it'd be, it needs to be organized. Individual acts can be understandable, but likely counterproductive. Those are June 14 tweets from HuffPost writer Jesse Ben, posted on the same day as shooters supported Bernie Sanders' attempted to kill congressional Republican Steve Scalise. They justified it. Justified it. And before I play Reed, who instantly, I waited 24 hours and then went after Republicans, even though Republicans were the focus of a shooting. This is what she said this week. Moreover, Democrats would fa face fierce resistance from their base and they did a single solitary thing to cooperate with McConnell and Ryan. The two men who have made hyper-partisanship the standard operating procedure in Washington since they put their wall of no versus Obama. If politics is now war, it's because Republicans have made war. Democrats have no choice but to fight. Democrats can either fight Republicans like it's the end of the world or they will reap the whirlwind from their base. Re Russiagate alone represents an existential threat to our democracy and Republicans are acting like Trump Praetorian Guard. Bipartisanship is a non-starter. That's what she said this week. And it makes you understand why she said this so shortly after GOP members of Congress were shot up by a Democrat. It is one thing to sort of want civility and to be and to take umbrage when it's one of your friends, when it's one of your own colleagues. But like you said, there's a whole country out there, and a, and a lot of people, at least in my Twitter timeline, um, and it's it's a delicate thing because you know obviously everybody is wishing the congressman well and hoping that he sure, recovers. Sure. Um, but Steve Scalise has a history that it's that we've all been forced to sort of ignore um, on race. Um, he did come to leadership after some controversy over attending uh, a white nationalist event, um, which he says he didn't know what it was. Um, he also co-sponsored a bill to amend the Constitution to define marriages between a man and a woman. He voted for the House health care bill, which, as you said, would gut health care for millions of people, including three million children. And he co-sponsored a bill to repeal the ban on semi-automatic weapons. Um, because he is in jeopardy and everyone is pulling for him, are we required in a moral sense to put that aside at the moment? No, what we're required to say is we hope that when we hope he recovers and then when he covers there's a renewed mindset. If a lesbian person saved your life, you can't you should not go forward, you know, being homophobic. You shouldn't be in any way. If you almost died but you your life was saved because you got health care, then you should apply that ethic and want everybody else the same health same health care you have. You know, the Bible uh, one of the guys that prayed Walker is from North Carolina and he was saying how he prayed for everybody. Well and he 
he's a Christian. Well, the Bible says in Isaiah 10, Woe unto those who legislate evil and rob the poor of their, of their rights and make women and children their prey. The Bible calls whenever you just put on a face in a time of crisis but continue to do the same things, it call, it's called making graves look good that are still full of dead man's bones. In other words, it's hypocrisy. If Congress people pray for one another, and they should, P-R-A-Y. But then if they pass policies that pray P-R-E-Y on the poor and on minorities and the sick, then we have a serious moral problem. And even our Constitution, George, says the only way you can get to domestic tranquility, the only way you can get to civility, is you must start with the establishment of justice. You must provide for the... I play that because that was a constant theme in 2017. They had it coming. It's karma. From hurricanes to shootings, if you were in a red state, liberals were on Twitter and social media saying, you voted for Trump, you had it coming. You died because you voted against a black president who wasn't even running for president. But you're a racist, so die. It was common. It was just common. Another constant theme in 2017 was that the GOP are going to kill your grandma, don't care about brown people, are the Taliban, and are going after the poor. They just spun a tax plan that we're killing the poor, brown people. Ah! Here are the best sound bites about McCall Ryan GOP in 2017. Killing the poor! Joe Kennedy just said something very interesting. He said health care should be a right. I would like to take that a step farther and go old school. The Republican plan basically says, let's let the states do this. Mark Sanford, the congressman from South Carolina, said, you know, Maine want to do one thing, and South Carolina want to have a more business-oriented model. This is called states' rights. The last time I checked, states' rights wasn't so great for civil rights. Mississippians in the 1960s should not have been able to vote on civil rights. The Supreme Court took care of that for us. I would suggest that access to health care is a civil right. Mm -hmm. And if you let states decide, 50 different states deciding whether your civil rights, whether you can walk into a hospital and get care, or for that matter, buy insurance, right. then yep. that's nothing but Jim Crow for health care. And to that's that, simply not okay. To that very point, I think that's an excellent point. No, I have not heard it sort of framed that way, and I think it's important to, because, Kareem, in the state, the great state of Kentucky, right now, the governor, Matt Bevin, who took over from Steve Beshear, a successful Democratic governor, has proposed taking Medicaid and turning it into sort of a points card system where to earn points toward getting to go to the doctor, poor people, people working poor people have to do things like pick up trash on the highway, yeah. essentially sort of a peonage. Right. And there is this ethos that people who are on Medicaid don't deserve to have health care right. and ought to do something to essentially put themselves into the um, it's at the service of the rest right. of the country right. just to get to go to the dentist. Right. Isn't there also the perception that a lot of uh, Republicans, even in the base, even people who are on Obamacare and don't know it, have that somehow the Affordable Care Act was a giveaway to people of color? And which is, you know, you look at the places where they've refused to expand Medicaid, it's the South. It's in the old Confederate states where they have refused to put about four million people onto the Medicaid rolls out of this sense that this is sort of brown people who just want to take. And that is the reason they don't want to have it expanded. That could be part of it. It could be opposition to anything that President Obama did. We're the only industrialized nation not to provide health care from the cradle to the grave. Why are we not good enough in the United States of America, the greatest country in the world, to provide that that we see in country after country? 
You know, right now, Trump care plan, the 17% approval rating of it, it's the only thing less popular than Trump is his, his health care plan, right. which is a horrible plan. You know, there'd be limits on what your benefits can be on an annual basis. This right. will kill people. Why not just call it death to poor people? Maybe more people in the Freedom Caucus will actually support it then. Because that's what, <laughs> fundamentally, that's what they're doing. They're actually going to, they're going to result in no coverage for people. Michael, Congress, back in session. Is this bill dead? I, I think it is, and I actually wrote about this today. If you are an at-risk American, if you are the poor or the elderly or somebody with a pre-existing condition or somebody who relies on a rural hospital, Mitch McConnell is more of a danger to your life right now than Vladimir Putin is. If, if he gets this thing through, it attacks so many people in this country who will end up eventually without health care and, and, and without health insurance. Joan, you've been covering the health care battles for seven plus years, I wonder what you're thinking. I'm thinking, what the hell kind of a country are we, Ari, that Michael has to lose sleep wondering if he can stay in his home with his family? I mean, what is this family supposed to do? Paul Ryan has been dreaming about cutting this program since he was sitting, hanging out at Keggers in college. He's told that story. What kind of That's, a man is he? What kind of a monster is he? Who dreams of cutting Medicaid? They act like people are merely takers. Mm -hmm. They don't act like they understand hardship of any kind. Paul Ryan, who actually got Social Security as a survivor when his father died, God bless him. I mean, the cruelty, Karen uses that word, it's the only word we can use, the cruelty of this bill is beyond belief. And if Donald Trump is really going to go along with this, don't like the man, didn't vote for him, but he promised not to do this. There has to be a way to reach the consciences of multiple Republicans on this bill. And I think you've begun to do that tonight. And well, thank you, Karen and, and Michael. Yeah, and, and Nancy, how about that? Because when we listened to Mike uh, and he told us, that he's been scared since the election. Obviously, he's listened and analyzed and done his own work. Uh, we, we heard from a candidate, we played it earlier this hour, who said on, on the facts, on the record, that he wasn't going to cut Medicaid, right. although that's clearly what this bill does. Right. So obviously something's come through here between the promises the president made and, and what is in this health care bill. I, I'm so overwhelmed that Mike and Karen, I don't even really know what to say. I mean, for starters, that anybody could think the kind of care that he gets and that his mom supports him in getting is a luxury and not something that is as right as a human being I just find appalling um, I, 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 I echo what Joan said I, I just I'm, I'm really confused about what kind of country we are where we're, we're revealed by how we treat our most vulnerable citizens and that an inefficient system that profits some people could mean that an earned right, not a, you know, not a gift. I mean, Medicaid and Social Security—they're not gifts. They're, they're, these are things that we earn. That something like that could be denied someone like Mike, who has thrived and used it and is able to express himself to to not have a chance for his voice to be expressed is just criminal. It's criminal. Isn't that kind of imposing your beliefs on your workers? It's also a bit of a conflict for them to say this because you want to remove funding from 
places like Planned Parenthood that allows for family planning and decisions. You now want to remove contraception, mm -hmm. and yet you say that people that are poor, like Dr. Car ben Carson said, you know, people that live in projects and things are getting too comfortable, and you know, they're <laughs> sucking the system dry. Well, you're not giving them <laughs> options to make the right decision if you're pulling all of. You're almost punishing us for having ovaries. How about this? Do what you need to do for your family. Right. Let me do what I need to do for mine, and we'll all be fine. You can't hide behind religion they to do. restrict other people's rights. Well, that they is do. not. Well, that's what that's done all the time. We saw it. We saw it when people said, "Oh, we can't have gay people adopting." So that's right. Well, that's it. wrong. Too. You know what? It's wrong. Y'all just need look. I don't know. <laughs> how is it different from the Taliban? I I, I, I just feel that you have to. You, at some point, you have to take responsibility for your life. And a lot of people are saying, this is what I need. And you're saying, it doesn't matter what you need. I want you to believe how I believe. And I said this before, I'm going to say it again. With all these rollbacks and all the things that we hear, what's the difference between us and the people we're fighting? Nothing. What's the difference? Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's to keep women down also. Let's not forget that one of the reasons they do this is to keep women, keep women in their place. Women. So I say, if you're a faith-based company, you should not get any tax breaks. How about that? That's, yeah. If you're going to operate like everybody else, you don't get the tax breaks. Stay out of as a religious group, if you're going to talk politics as a religious group, you don't get a tax break. Sorry. So basically what you're saying is people who work in religious uh, uh, hospitals or schools, even if they're Jewish or they're, they're not believers, you're saying they're not welcome there because unless you believe exactly and do exactly what they say, you're not welcome. That's not what you're supposed to be saying. That's not Christian. Understand under Obama, black unemployment went up to 14.9%. His health care plan destroyed the middle class and made a majority of Americans pay more money for health insurance and made a lot of them not even have health insurance anymore. Under Obama for eight years, the only people that got more income equality were rich people. You didn't hear that. They didn't report it. But somehow everything, even a tax cut in 2017, meant we don't care about poor people. America goes after black people, women, transvestites, yada fucking yada. And then there was DACA. I'm not going to go into a huge line on DACA. I'm just going to play one soundbite. It covers DACA, it covers immigration, it covers everything. And it came from Tom Brokaw, who's now starting to get the effects of Alzheimer, and it's a war on Hispanics. Uh, DACA, <laughs> what do you think happened yesterday? Well, I think what happened is a continuation of the Republican determination to cut out Hispanic votes on their side for as long as we can see. This has been going on for a long time. This is a rejection on the part of the Republican Party that we have Hispanic citizens in this country and other people who in many ways are inclined to share their values. Stu Spencer, the genius of Ronald Reagan's campaigns, used to say we should have the Hispanic vote in our corner. These are people who are family-oriented, they're faithful, they work hard, they've got all those values. But for a long, long time, the Republican Party has been declaring war on Hispanics in this country. Now, having said that, 
we really need to get our immigration under control in this country. It does cry out for a comprehensive reform of some kind, not do it just on a case-by-case basis, DACA one day and work programs the other day. We need a big one because this is not going to go away. But the reason you see resistance on the Hill is that the Republicans there know that if they turn the Hispanic voters against them in the Southwest and now increasingly in the Midwest where they work in meat processing plants, Scott Walker, the governor of Wisconsin, says the dairy industry in northern Wisconsin goes down if we lose all of the workers are up there. They're doing the jobs that a lot of Americans just don't want to do anymore in meatpacking plants. It's not that they don't want to work hard. These are terrible jobs that they're fulfilling. So I, it's hard for me to see the big picture from a Republican point of view, Joe, going forward and just giving the back of your hand to people who have Hispanic surnames. Remember, my friends, if you followed the show, there are very few policies that Trump's done that I really love. Tax plan was one of them. DACA was another one. Travel ban was another one. I framed that off of Democrats had Washington for eight fucking years. Sure, they had a GOP Senate and House, but they had eight years to work on immigration. Every immigration plan ever proffered by the House, the Senate, or whatever was rejected by Obama because they didn't want the Republicans to have a win on anything. They did nothing. The only thing Obama ever did on immigration, illegal or legal, was to assert the Constitution and sign off Congress or uh, presidential fucking executive orders. If they cared about brown people, they would have done something. But they did nothing. 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 It is almost comical how repetitive the left is when they don't have policies. They don't have anything. They just have fear-mongering. The war on Hispanics, they want to fuck the poor. Here's some other great quotes. Of all the actions Trump has taken, none has been as cruel, thoughtless, or divisive as deporting hundreds of thousands of young people who have done nothing but go to school, work hard, present themselves to the government. The party of Lincoln has become the party of Charlottesville, Arpaio, DACA repeal, and Muslim ban, embodying the very worst sentiments and driven by irrational anger and deserve not defense but extinction. That's Jennifer Rubin. A conservative, supposedly, on WAPO. Ending DACA would be Trump's most evil act. Monster ails foster division and frightened Americas. That was a rolling stone. It came, it's Fox's fault. News founder made his hate-filled moronic country it is today. That was running the same time. Roger Ale and company are the devil. Just the devil. And it's Fox News fault. But at the end of the day, DACA, tax plan, immigration, if the, if the Democrats really cared about people, if they really cared about the middle class, they really cared about brown people, they would have put policies past those things called bills. They chose not to for eight years. All they did was pass the precluder to a single-payer system. Because that's what they wanted to pass. And that was it. They did nothing else. So I just think it's fucking comical. Now we must go into a little segue break. All right. It's just a break. Into individual excellence. And media biased. 
in 2017. Our first contestant in 2017. Anyone want to guess? It's Jim Acosta. Here are the top 10 jaw-dropping Jim Acosta meltdowns in 2017. And remember, boys and girls, he's actually a reporter, supposedly. Question. Go since ahead. You're, no, Mr. President-elect. Go, go ahead. Mr. President-elect, since you are attacking no, our news not you. organization, not you. can you give us a chance? Your organization is terrible. You are attacking terrible. our news organization. Your organization is terrible. Can you give us a chance Let's to go. ask a question, sir? Go ahead. Sir, can Quiet. you state? Quiet. Mr. President-elect, Go ahead. She's, she's asking a question. Don't be rude. Mr. can you give us a question? Don't be rude. Can you give us a question? Don't be rude. No, I'm not going to give you a question. Can I'm you, not going to give you a can question. You, can you, stay categorically, you are fake news. Sir, go ahead. Can you state categorically that nobody. No, Mr. President elect, that's not appropriate. Thank you very much. And just for the record, we don't hate you. I don't hate you. Okay. So, if I may follow up on some of the questions that have taken place so far here, sir, and I don't know which microphone to, to hold here. I've got three microphones. Do have other people, and your ratings aren't as good as some of the other people that are waiting. They're pretty good right now, actually, Mr. Okay. President. But, Go ahead, Jim. Uh, if I may ask, sir, uh, you said earlier that, uh, that WikiLeaks was uh, revealing information uh, about the Hillary Clinton campaign uh, during the election cycle. You welcomed that at one campaign rally. You said you, you said you loved WikiLeaks. At another campaign press conference, you, you called on the Russians to uh, find the missing 30,000 emails. I'm wondering, sir, if you... Well, she was uh, actually missing 33, and then that got extended with a whole Maybe pilot. my numbers are off a little bit, too. No, no, but I did say 30, but it was actually higher. If, if I may ask you, sir, it, it sounds as though you do not have uh, much credibility here when it comes to leaking, if that is something that you encourage during the campaign. If I, Ready? If, if I may ask you that. No, and no, then, but you, let me do one at a time. If I may ask you follow-up. Yes, sir. Right. If I may follow up on that, uh, just, just something that Jonathan Carl was asking you about. You said that the leaks are real, but the news is fake. I guess I don't understand. Uh, it seems that there's a disconnect there. If the information coming from those leaks is real, then how can the stories be the fake? Reporting is fake. And if look, I, may look, ask, look. I just want to ask Jim, you know what it is? Here, here's the thing. If I'm, if Go I ahead. Just one, one more should I let him have a little bit more? What do you think, Peter? Yeah? This, Peter, I should just, I have a, let him have a little bit more? This, Sit down. The, Sit down. Just, we'll, just we'll because of the, we'll get just it. Just because of the attack of fake news and, and attacking our network, I, I just want to ask you, sir. I'm changing it from fake news, though. Doesn't that undermine? Very fake news. I know, but aren't you... Okay. Go ahead. Uh, real news, Mr. President. Real news. And you're uh, not related to our new... Uh, I am not related, sir, no. I do like the sound of Secretary I look, Acosta, I must You say, know, I looked at that name. I said, wait a minute. Is there any relation there, Alex There's, Acosta? I'm sure you checked that okay. out, sir. No, I checked it. I said, they said, no, sir. I said, do me a favor. Go back and check the family tree. Okay. But I, aren't, you, aren't you concerned, sir, that you are undermining the people's faith in the First Amendment, freedom of the press, the press in this country, when you call stories you don't like fake news, why not just say it's a story I don't like? When I do you that. call it fake news, no, you're I do undermining that. confidence no, no. in our news that. media. Here's the thing. Isn't okay. that important? I understand what you And you're right about that, except this. See, I know when I should get good and when I should get bad. And sometimes I'll say, wow, that's going to be a great story, and I'll get killed. I know what's good and bad. I'd be a pretty good reporter, not as good as you. You were saying that, uh, you know, people, if they can't get access to insurance, they don't have coverage. But right. if you remove the individual mandate, you are going to have people who are not going to buy coverage. They're not going to buy insurance. And so getting back to the Congressional Budget Office score, would you concede that there will be some coverage losses, perhaps in the millions, that there will be millions of people who will not have health insurance as a result of what you're doing? 
Well, again, sure, except you have to look at the current situation. You are mandated by law to buy insurance right now under Obamacare. 13-plus million people have asked for a hardship exemption, and then 6.5-plus million people have determined to pay the penalty. So currently, if, you, if we look at the universe and say it's roughly 30 million people, only 9 million people engaged in the exchanges when required by law. Mandate so, forces people to buy insurance, and if they don't have insurance, then you have the free rider problem in the system. Right, but, but look at what's happening now. So to free riders... And those folks no, 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 because the current right at the emergency room, and then the healthcare is much worse. But they do it right now. But my point, Jim, is that the way the system was constructed under Obamacare, you, you they, they created the system to force people to buy plans that they did not like, that were mandated by the government. But it's not a talking coverage point. in those states. No, no, it means right, and in, mo you, and in a lot you of pull this away, then you're going to have people in a lot of states who are going to have access to no, 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 coverage. That's not, Totally because false. they can't afford it with Hold these on. tax credits you're providing. No, no, that, I mean, that is a, the No, there's not. No, actually, I, I don't. More you've got 175 million Americans that get their insurance through their employer. And frankly, right now, they're the ones who keep paying higher and higher premiums because a system that was only supposed to help people get access and require them get a government-mandated, government government-run uh, health care has actually gone amok. And so right now, government-run healthcare, Medicare is government-run. Right, and what's happening? And more and more. That they, they, yes, they, they do. want you to get rid of their. I Medicare. think you need to maybe get outside and talk to some of them because more and more Medicaid recipients, in fact, more and more Medicare recipients, aren't actually able to get coverage. Again, it's one thing to have a card; it's another thing to walk into a doctor's office and them to tell you we no longer accept Medicaid anymore. That's not care. But the president's okay with no, he's there not. Are be millions of people who are No, aren't no, the, the, the president's goal is to provide health care coverage to every American. And right now, they're not getting that. The White House is refusing to answer those questions on camera or in any kind of fashion where we can record the audio. My guess is because they want their uh, evasive answers uh, not saved for posterity. Uh, that is the only conclusion one could draw. Uh, that when they give us answers, uh, that it, it somehow reads better in print than it, it can be seen on television or heard over the radio. And I guess people can say, well, there, there goes the media again. Uh, they're acting like crybabies because they can't cover things the way that they want. But, you know, maybe I'm old-fashioned, Brooke, but I think that the White House for the United States of America should have these questions answered on camera so right we can see what they're saying. And when they don't do this, they're, they're just doing a disservice to the people of this country. And, and I don't want to sound like I'm getting on my soapbox here, but when, you know, Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary, who's pretty high, highly paid for a government official in this country, comes in and, and just says you can't record the video or audio from these briefings, that wouldn't be tolerated at city council meetings or at a governor's press conference. And here we have the representative of the president of the United States saying, no, you can't cover it that way. I, I just don't know what we're doing. It's not even like we're covering a White House anymore with Kellyanne Conway and Omarosa in the briefing room off to the side of, of Sean refusing to be on camera. It's like we're just covering bad reality television is what it feels like now. It's a really good question, Brooke, and it's a question that I would ask, but unfortunately at this White House we wouldn't have the video or the audio to show you the answer. Uh, to that question because of, of the stonewalling that we're getting over here at the White House. That's the White House behind me, the White House. And it's just, it's bizarre. I, I, don't, I don't know what world we're living in right now, Brooke. We're, we're standing at the White House, and, and they bring us into the briefing room here at the White House, and they won't answer these questions on camera 
or let us record the audio. I don't know why everybody is going along with it. Jen, Jen. Jane, Sean, Sean, can you answer whether the president still believes the, the question? There's no camera on, Jim. Well, maybe we should turn the cameras on, Sean. Why don't we turn the cameras on? Jen. Why don't we turn the cameras on? I'm sorry that you have to do Jen, Why not turn the cameras on, Sean? They're Jen. in the room. The lights are on. Is it not true that there were tensions and some strain between the U.S. negotiators, which were Jared Kushner and Jason Greenblatt, and the Palestinians? Is it not true that there were tensions? Olivia. Do we have cameras on? The president hold the press for you. Sean. Sean. Corker says he will use... That now we see you on camera about once a week. Is that a new normal that we would expect? We'll see. We're just, we'll continue to mix things why up. Why the cameras off, Sean? Try. Why, are they, why did you turn Try. them off? Can you just Try. give us an answer to that? Can Try. you tell us why you turned the cameras off? Why are they off, Sean? It's a legitimate question. Try. It's a legitimate question. Try. You are a taxpayer-funded spokesman for Try. the United States government. Can you at least give us an explanation as to why the cameras are off? Can we get this out of the way? Can we address the cameras issue? Uh, yeah, some days we'll have them, some days we won't. The president's going to speak today in the Rose Garden. Uh, I want the president's voice to carry the day. Uh, you know, uh, and I think, uh, you know, so, as I, look, this is nothing inconsistent with what we said. Uh, what you're proposing here, what the president's proposing here, does not sound like it's in keeping with American tradition when it comes to immigration. The Statue of Liberty says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. doesn't say anything about speaking English or being able to... Uh, computer, be a computer programmer. Uh, aren't you trying to change what it means to be an immigrant coming into this country if, if you're telling them uh, you have to speak English? Uh, can't people learn how to speak English when they get here? Well, first of all, right now it's a requirement that to be naturalized you have to speak English. So the notion that speaking English wouldn't be a part of our immigration systems would be actually very ahistorical. Secondly, I don't want to get off into a whole thing about history here, but the Statue of Liberty is a symbol of liberty enlightening the world. It's a symbol of American liberty lighting the world. The poem that you're referring to that was added later is not actually part of the original Statue of Liberty. They do it through a lot of hard work, and yes, they may learn English as a second language later on in life. So, but, but this yeah. whole this whole notion of well, they could learn, you know, they have to learn English before they get to the United States. Are we just going to bring in people from Great Britain and Australia? Jim, it's actually, I have to honestly say, I am shocked at your statement that you think that only people from Great Britain and Australia would know English. It's actually, it reveals your cosmopolitan uh, bias to a shocking degree that in your mind, no, this is an amazing, this is an amazing moment. This is an amazing moment that you think only people from Great Britain or Australia would speak English is so insulting to millions of hard-working immigrants who do speak English from all over the world. Jim, have you honestly, Jim, have you honestly never met a, an immigrant from another country who speaks English outside of Great Britain and Australia? Is that your personal experience? But that's not what you said. And it shows, it shows your cosmopolitan bias. And I just want to say... engineer the racial and ethnic flow of people into this country. Yeah, that is one of the most outrageous, insulting, ignorant, and foolish things you've ever said. And for you, that's still a really... The, the notion that you think that this is a racist bill is so wrong and so insulting. Jim. The previous administration uh, saw a connection between climate change and homeland security and that the frequency and intensity of powerful swarms like uh, Harvey and Irma could pose a problem for future administrations. Uh, you could have uh, FEMA budgets uh, that uh, can't keep up with the demand when you have powerful swarms hitting uh, the country. Is that something that you think this administration should take a look at? We know the uh, president pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, are these storms giving 
uh, this administration some pause when it comes to the issue of climate change and homeland security? Uh, I was here in the 2004 cycle of hurricanes, four and six weeks that hit Florida. I think what's prudent for us right now is to make sure that those response capabilities are there. Causality is something outside my ability to analyze right now. I will tell you that we continue to take seriously uh, the climate change, not the cause of it, but the things that we observe. And so there's uh, rising floodwaters, I think one inch every 10 years in Tampa, things that would require prudent mitigation measures. And what I said from the podium the other day and what President Trump remains committed to uh, is making sure that federal dollars aren't used to rebuild things that will be in harm's way later or that won't be hardened against the future predictable floods that we see. And that has to do with engineering analysis and changing conditions uh, along eroding uh, shorelines, but also in inland uh, water and flood control projects. So, yeah, and just to follow up on that, when you see three Category 4 hurricanes all on the same map at the same time, does the thought occur to you, geez, you know, maybe maybe there is something to this this climate change thing and its connection to powerful hurricanes? Uh, okay. it, we're, we're, you just separate the two and say, boy, these are a lot of big hurricanes coming our way. Well, I don't know if I say either, but I do note that there's a cyclical nature of a lot of these hurricane seasons, and uh, I think... Uh, the scientists for their forecast on this particular one, uh, they were dead on that this would be a stronger and more powerful hurricane season with slightly more than average large storms making landfall in the United States. So we'll have to do a larger trend analysis. Sir, uh, how can you uh, describe uh, Mr. Papadopoulos as having a limited role when there's a, there's a photograph of Mr. Papadopoulos sitting at a table with uh, the president candidate has Trump? thousands of photographs with millions of people. And, so uh, He was also cited by then candidate Trump in a meeting with the Washington Post as to who his uh, top foreign policy advisors are. Uh, that seems to fight against what you're saying. And also, how, how is it not collusion? When George Papadopoulos is in contact with various people who are promising dirt on Hillary Clinton, uh, a series of events that closely mirrors what occurred with the president's own son. This individual was on a... In, in pursuit of information that was damaging about the Clintons. How is all of that not collusion? Look, uh, this individual was the member of a volunteer advisory council that met one time over the course of a year, uh, and he was part of a list that was read out in the Washington Post. I'd hardly call that some sort of uh, regular advisor or, as you want to you know, push, that he's uh, like a senior member of the staff. It's uh, He was not paid by the campaign. He was a volunteer on a Again, a council that met once. He was pursuing information think, from the uh, Russians. Again, he was a volunteer. I think that's something you need to ask him. I'm not here to speak on behalf of the you know thousands of people that may have volunteered on the campaign. Jim. Reporters' mistakes and Sorry, uh, disinformation Jim. campaign by a foreign government. Does he see a distinction there? I haven't spoken with him about that, but certainly we would take uh, any misinformation like that very seriously. Um, but it's not something we're comparing the two on. Jim. I would just say, sir, that, that journalists make honest mistakes, and that doesn't make them fake news. But uh, the question that but I when journalists make honest mistakes, they should own up to them. Uh, sometimes, and a lot of times you don't. But there's a difference. There's a very big I'm sorry. I'm not finished. There's a very big difference between making honest mistakes and purposefully misleading the American people, something that happens regularly. You can't say I'm not done. You cannot say you cannot say that it's an honest mistake when you're purposely putting out information that you know to be false or when you're taking information that hasn't been validated, that hasn't been uh, offered any credibility and that has been continually denied by a number of people, including people with direct knowledge of an instance. This is something uh, that... I, 
I'm speaking about the number of reports that have taken place over the last couple of weeks. I'm simply stating that there should be a certain level of responsibility in that process. This was not, this was not, Ryan, uh, I called on Jim. This is not uh, the, the line of questioning that I was going down, but can you cite a specific story that you say is intentionally false, that was intentionally put out there to mislead the American people? Sure. The ABC report by Brian Ross, I think that was pretty misleading to the American people. And I think that it's very telling that that individual had to be suspended because of that reporting. I think that shows that the network took it seriously and recognized that it was a problem. Sarah, Jim? If I may, I was going to ask a question about something well, else. you used it on something well, else. Sarah, Jim? Sarah, if I may. Sarah, I Not think today. it's going to keep moving, guys. If I can ask about the, the president's uh, accusations. I'm moving to a different gym. I'm sorry. I know, but I didn't get a, a chance to ask the, the question that I wanted to ask, which is. Jim. Can you just say once and for all whether these Jim, I'm going to say once and for all that I'm moving on to Jim Stinson, and I'm not taking another question I, I from you at this in, point. I was there a question about investment. to your attacks on investment the taxes. Taxes. That's okay. I, I would like to ask the question that I had about these accusations of misconduct against the president, you said that he's denied them. Can you say whether or not they are false? I'm not That's all I'm asking. To For those who keep up with the show, you've heard most of those sound bites. It's almost be- unbelievable the talking points that he pushes out. If you go to HuffPo, Dem Underground, The Nation, those those are the same talking points. He is nothing more than a political activist with a fucking CNN mic in his hand. And he's a goddamn joke. Our other individual award goes to Anna Navarro, who's a conservative supposedly. But she hates Donald Trump so much that CNN, ABC, run around all the time to do irrational takedowns of the POTUS. Understand... In both of these singular individuals that I am highlighting in my year in review, these people under Obama said everything you ever said about POTUS was disrespecting the office. But now, they make a living and get paid to disrespect the office. So here's Anna Navarro's top three idiotic statements and meltdowns in 2017 what they ought to. You know, it's interesting, Anna, because Senator Lindsey Graham, man, you know, well, uh, he, he just issued another statement saying President Trump has a blind spot when it comes to Russia and he can't figure out why. Can you? Uh, maybe because they have something on him. I mean, you know, the, you've, it, it leads to speculation. The constant and the very consistent way that Donald Trump deals with trush, Russia, deals with his investigation, leads to questions that are yet to be answered. And you've got Lindsey Graham, who takes this issue incredibly seriously, but is also, in a very goodwill way, trying to work with Trump. Now, Trump doesn't only have a blind, blind spot when it comes to Russia. He's got a blind spot when it comes to his relatives. Because this stuff with Jared Kushner, I'm not sure that in any other presidency, somebody would be allowed to stay in the inner circle of the Oval Office of the White House with the amount of lapses, lies, lack of disclosure that this uh, young man has exhibited. I mean, he's either negligent and sloppy, lying, or has the worst case of early onset memory loss that we've seen in history. He should go see a doctor. This this is the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief, who should be leading us now at a moment when we could be closer than ever before to war with North Korea. He has millions of lives in his hand here and around the world. 
So it's frightening that his behavior, his own behavior, raises questions about his fitness to serve and his grasp of reality. Let's discuss all of this now. Senior political analyst Jonathan Martin is here. Also political commentators Anna Navarro and Scott Jennings. Good evening. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. And uh, the retweets, the numerous conspiracy theories, everything we have seen and heard over the last few days. Is this president serious question? Is he unraveling? Okay, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I can tell you that from, you know, an untrained eye, it looks weird. It makes me recall people who have early onset dementia. It makes me recall people who are in the early stages of Alzheimer's. His constant repetition, he goes back to the same themes over and over again. He continues repeating the same lies, the same fabrications, picking the same fights. He's been going on with the NFL now and the athletes for months. I don't know what he's going to do when football season is over. Start picking on what? Kindergartens? Look, it is weird, his repeated lie on the number of, you know, on, on the electoral vote, on illegals voting, on the inaugural crowds. It is downright weird. And to look the other way and pretend that this is normal is to be in absolute denial. Our country deserves better. Yeah. I'm a CNN commentator. I think that is unacceptable. I think that is the president of the United States taking things way too far. It is an incitement to violence. He is going to get somebody killed in the media. Maybe that will stop him. I am disappointed beyond belief by the answer that the Homeland Security Advice gave. What a wuss. What a wuss. You could see that he is seeding his principles. You are the Homeland Security Advisor and you can't stand here and say the difference between right and wrong. That's what's part of the problem. He is surrounded by enablers that do nothing but shake their heads and nod their heads in agreement with everything that he says. They have got to stop. They have got to stand for democracy, for freedom of the press. This is just going way too far. The president of the United States is inciting violence against the free press. In America, we cannot stand for it. Both of those individuals are just pathetic in their profession. I just want to make sure I say that. They're pathetic. That's just pathetic. Saying they're a journalist is like saying I am a brain surgeon. I might have stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, but I don't know shit about brain surgery. No year in review would be complete without the view. Somehow the view remains on our TV sets with the insanely biased individuals. And understand, Rosie O'Donnell used to be on the frickin' view, and she left only because she wanted to, not because she was too extreme, because she wanted to. And now they have just a group of idiots that brainwashes America every day. So here's their top ten. Bay Hair Chins Cheers Fake Flynn Scoop. It's like Christmas. Americans don't care about Puerto Rico because they're brown. Hillary Clinton, most qualified candidate ever, lost because of white lash. Number four, fake news. The media was more biased against Obama. They actually said that. It's unbelievable. Liberals lose more jobs in Hollywood than conservatives do. Oh, really? What's the difference between Christians and the Taliban? Or, how about, maybe the Taliban started like Trump. Eight, more conspiracy theories, conservative orchestrated antifa so they could bitch about it. 
Number nine, you don't have to learn how to shoot a gun to get a license. And number ten, libertarian host accused of bias after she points out Obama and Clinton lied too. That was Bila, who stayed and left. Stayed and left. It was almost unbelievable. And it still is mind-bending for me to think that show still stays on the air. But why does it? Because it's Trump derangement syndrome. Trump derangement syndrome has become a full-time occupation for Jim Acosta, Anna Navarro, and most of CNN. And more importantly, all networks have a good time talking about Trump and his mental stability. So here is a fantastic soundbite of the year of deranged, insane, unstable, dangerous, from what we like to call our media. Well, what do you say to that? I'm just going to speak from the heart here. What we have witnessed was a total eclipse of the facts. Someone who came out on stage and lied directly to the American people and left things out that he said in an attempt to rewrite history, especially when it comes to Charlottesville. He's unhinged. It's embarrassing. And I don't mean for us, the media, because he went after us, but for the country. This is who we elected president of the United States, a man who is so petty that he has to go after people who he deems to be his enemy, like an imaginary friend of a six-year-old. His speech was without thought. It was without reason. It was devoid of facts. It was devoid of wisdom. There was no gravitas. There was no sanity there. He was like a child blaming a sibling on something else. He did it. I didn't do it. He certainly opened up the race wound from Charlottesville, a man clearly wounded by the rational people who are abandoning him in droves, meaning those business people and the people in Washington now who are questioning his fitness for office and whether he is stable. A man backed into a corner, it seems, by circumstances beyond his control and beyond his understanding. That's the truth. If you watch that speech as an American, you had to be thinking, what in the world is going on? This is the person we elected as a president of the United States? This petty? This small? The person who's supposed to pull the country together certainly didn't happen there. Well, I thought that that, that was a president totally unhinged. I, there's uh, little doubt about that uh, for anyone watching. I, I I do think you get at a point. This is this is the evidence that backs up Bob Corker questioning his stability for office. This is the evidence as to why Susan Collins, another Republican senator, uh, isn't so sure he may be around to run for re-election uh, in 2020. This is evidence as to why the Republican leader in the United States, and again, I'm only referring to people from his own party in case people think uh, this is a a partisan political issue. It's not. Why Mitch McConnell, the leader of his own party, is telling people and associates, we learned from the New York Times tonight, that he's not sure this presidency is going to uh, sort of fill out the duration of the term, uh, questioning whether or not this presidency is permanently off course. This is the evidence that it is so severely off course, you can't see the course. It's hard to see how he's going to get back on. And the fact that the president of the United States 
came out tonight, and again, as you said, it's not about attacking us. I, that's fine. I, I, although we in the press are going to be the last people to take lessons from Donald Trump on truth-telling and facts. Who has lied over a but, thousand times but, since he's taken off. Because that's on. absurd. But the fact that this is one night after he appealed to the country about unity, about coming together, about peace and love. These were the words he used last night at the top of his speech before he got to the Afghanistan section because he was still trying to do some cleanup on Charlottesville and really tried to talk about the notion of love and peace and unity and this I think we're in a, in a state of crisis. You know, we have the, the Russian collusion, the Russian, uh, you know, tapping into the uh, our democratic systems is a serious problem, but we've sort of got a handle on that. I mean, we know what happened there, and we know who did it. But the other part, the linked part of that crisis, is Donald Trump himself. This is a dangerously, emotionally, and, and mentally unstable individual here who is wholly ignorant about how you you know perform as as president of the United States and I think I've been watching from abroad for the last last month here I just got home a couple of days ago but I think I've sensed a change in the coverage now I think people are finally starting to come to grips as we must come to grips with the notion that we have a dangerous individual in the Oval Office who, who is a national security threat and he needs to be removed from office uh, that's easy to say, but but he need, he's well, unfit and he needs to be removed. And I wish the Republicans on the moderate right and the far, not the far, moderate and, and centrist right would say, he's our problem too. But they're, why are they not talking? Well, listen, Chris, when the history books are written about this period, and they will be, there are only going to be two sides. They're going to be patriots and they're going to be partisans. They're going to be true Americans, and there are going to be people who are engaged in behavior, and I would, I would throw Donald Trump into this category, engage in behavior that can only be described as treasonable. It's not treason technically in the legal sense, but it is treasonable. Uh, they are taking Russia's side over, over the United okay. States of America. Russia attacked us. What was Trump doing meeting those people in the Oval Office and bragging about anything to them? I know. You know, the, the, the pictures were, were absurd. He looked like some kid who just was a new kid in school and sucking Thank up you. to the, you know, the cool we don't kids. Have an, uh, Ron, we don't have enough of you, sir. Thank you. Please come on again quickly. Thank <laughs> you, Ron Ray. If something like that can stay on Twitter for six hours, what does that say about who controls the information coming out of the White House. And what if somebody hacked into Twitter and posted a message that could have global implications, saying something like, Donald Trump is, or I'm going to launch nuclear weapons? Is it really concerning about uh, you know, the, the chain of events right. that something like that could set off? Yes, this is precisely the thing that keeps me up at night, literally. Um, since Trump was inaugurated. This kept me up at night right. last night. So, 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 liter literally, um, I am afraid that Donald Trump will tweet something that will launch us into a war or a, a potential conflict that we won't be able to get out of. Talk to me about the, the security concerns, the implications of what it means that Donald Trump has a way to communicate with the America and the world that is not monitored, that is not checked. What if his account gets hacked? Say, just say, what right, if his indeed. account gets hacked? Uh, and somebody posts a message saying that, the, you know, we are uh, aiming nukes at North Korea. Uh, is there anybody that can go in there and say, oh my God, no, take it down? Is anybody monitoring this account after hours in the middle of the night? How does something like this stay up? He was a coward. He didn't have the spine to behave like the leader of the United States. And I feel that to be shameful. And I'm glad Republicans are calling him out on it. I'm glad elected leaders in the Republican Party are finally 
finally stopping to and stopping looking the other way mm -hmm. and confronting the fact that he's not only unfit to be president. In my book, his lack of empathy, his lack of leadership, his lack of courage, he's unfit to be human. I think it's the spiritual leaders. I think it's the governors. I think it's the other elected leaders. I think it's U.S. citizens. I think it's regular people that need to step up. And we need to be the ones that unify and heal ourselves because the president of the United States is a shameful nincompoop, incapable of doing it on his own. All these white supremacist groups, it's pretty clear they know how to play the media and get media attention and get their message out there and bring in new members. They mentioned Donald Trump's name. They get in the media and people pay attention to them, whether it's David Duke or this crazy magazine that I've never heard of until this weekend. Now they have people that have literally found them and people that are going to focus on them and maybe even join them. So I, I expect them to play us this way, and I don't think we should give them credibility. It's easy to go out there and throw bombs. It's easy to say the president's an income pooper, not a human, as Anna just said. But when you're the president and you see violence like this, we know what many times happens at night afterwards. There are people that are angry on both sides. They go back out. There are riots, people die, policemen die. We've seen this in different venues around the country over the last several years. And I think he had a responsibility to tell people that we're bigger. You know, under Obama, that was racist, folks. If you spoke about Obama in a negative manner, you were disrespecting the office of the United States of America, and you were a racist fucking piece of shit. But they did it for an entire year. It isn't going to stop. 2018... They're going to go to a thesaurus and find new ways to disparage the President of the United States. And understand, I'm not even a Trump supporter. I'm just pointing out the facts, boys and girls. The media has Trump derangement syndrome so bad. And they live in such a bubble, as we started this MTP article... Now, that soundbite is our primer to what this whole year was about. They think they're doing great. And fake news was one of their fortes for the year. Remember, they initially believed the fake news and fake stories on uh, Twitter and Facebook helped Trump win the presidency. And, of course... Those are done by Russia, which we're going to talk about in a second. Russia, Russia, Russia was the other thing that we just couldn't get away from this year. But as the year went on, they found that had nothing to do with it. Even though they went out and did the reporting initially and found out it was just that she wasn't liked very much and her popularity's at 30%, worse than Trump's. They didn't want to live with that, so they went with fake news. And as we covered over and over on the show... The fake news that is guiding our nation is not the Russians, is not coming from Trump, it's coming from the resistance himself. I'm going to do, before I play, just an incredible soundbite from Brian Seltzer that sums up the year of how, oh, the president's lying so much, will people even believe him? And how they treated Kellyanne Conway. This happened this week. Now, to her credit, she corrected herself because she's a good person. But Pam from The Office gets 65,000 retweets and 220K likes 
for totally bogus take on tax reform. Actress Jenna Fisher, a.k.a. Pam from The Office, took to Twitter on December 23rd to bash the GOP tax reform bill as it related to teachers and tax deductions for classroom supplies. She tweeted, I can't stop thinking about how school teachers can no longer deduct the cost of their classroom supplies on their taxes, something they shouldn't have to pay their own money for in the first place. I mean, imagine if a nurse had to go buy their own syringes. Ugh. Sung Min Kim. I don't want to fight with Pam from the office, but this is not true. Final tax bill kept the 250 school supply deductions. It took Twitter, not reporters, Twitter, to correct her. And then she researched, and then she put this out. I made a mistake, and I want to correct it. After reading your feedback and doing additional research, I discovered that I tweeted something that was not accurate. Last month, the House representative voted for a tax bill and did kill a 250 deduction to fi- to, for teachers to buy classroom supplies, but in the final bill, the deduction was restored. I feel generally bad about getting my facts wrong, and I'm sorry I did not mean to spread misinformation. I will. I was well-intentioned, but I was behind on my research, so I have deleted the tweet because I believe accuracy is important. For a minute, I thought maybe I don't need to delete my tweet because it started a great dialogue about how teachers shouldn't have to pay out-of-pocket for school supplies. I love teachers. True, I had a fact wrong about the tax deduction, but I started a dialogue. Listen... I love good dialogue. In fact, what I treasure most about our democracy is the dialogue we share with each other through conversation, social media, and the press. But part part of having dialogue involves listening and learning and admitting when you're wrong. Tweet deleted. I'm not ashamed to say I was wrong, and I'm not ashamed to correct it. I was taught that taking responsibility is the right thing to do. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Please accept my apology. Thanks for listening, for your feedback, and for being kind. And thank you to our teachers who do so much more than we will ever know, opening their hearts and often their wallets to educate our children with love, Jenna. Responses, ruthlessly, firefly. Whoa, this is good, very good. There are many in the news industry who could learn a thing from this. This is an important part of great dialogue. Thank you for being big enough to admit the mistake. This is a big part, Big. this is very big of her. Nobody does this, and they should. Because the media won't. The media has spent an entire year correcting in a correction section, correcting in a tweet and not deleting the tweet, mentioning briefly at a break when they did something wrong. But you'll never know that on the fucking Grinch Network. Because all year, we had to listen to this fucking little twerp run his cock trap, because I think he's gay, about fake news. And how the president lies all the time. Well, the president might put out false information. He does it, as all politicians do, as Obama did for eight years, to improve his poll numbers. You do it to undermine the president. And you do it with malicious intent. Will conservative media outlets play along with Trump's lies? Will they claim he's telling the truth? Or will conservative outlets respect their readers enough to call BS on BS. Finally, what can all newsrooms do to help you know what's really going on? These are uncomfortable questions, especially these last ones. But it's time to ask them. Do citizens in dictatorships recognize what's happening right here, right now? Are they looking at the first two days of the Trump administration and saying, oh, that's what my leader does? What should we learn from them today? Just own it. Just own it.
a scene, and you're a very prominent person there, just say, you know, we're doing better in the ratings. We're, we're getting better at revenues because we're one of the more anti-Trump than down the line outlets. Just own it. I think it's okay to do we're that. We're not anti-Trump, Kellyanne. We're pro your panels, your panels we're pro are six honesty. versus one, we're and you know that. Decency. And are this is a deny, tough moment in American history for you, people that support facts many, and decency. Excuse me, we've had many tough, let's, tough times let's, in American history. Sure. Uh, but, you know, we, we, well, Benghazi didn't happen because of a tape. You all covered that. Uh, people right. couldn't keep gonna, their I'm doctor and couldn't keep their plan. I right, hear you Benghazi, like I hear Clinton. Let's well, you're talk hearing, next time. you want to talk about facts. But the fact is, well, Brian, we, I appreciate being on. We appreciate the platform. Thank you. And I'm always willing to do that when I'm available. Thank you. Hey, we're, we're both rooting for the Eagles today, at least. That's what we all have right. in common. Eight and one, coming up. All right. See you soon. Thank you for being here. Take care. So I ask you, Brian Seltzer, were liberal outlets be man enough to start policing themselves in 2018? Well, liberal outlets do breaking news. We were fucking wrong. Will CNN stop worrying about box trucks and actually police themselves and explain how did Anderson Cooper call the President of the United States a tool? You doxed gift makers. You don't dox yourself. It's sad to say, but when a Hollywood actress has more integrity than our mainstream media... It's a sad day for America, because as I've said for two years now, come February, we don't have a free press. We have a press run by the C. That's all it is. Nothing but liberal talking points every day, pushed to demean the GOP. Just the sound bites to date have shown they are all in with the Democratic National Committee, and they hate Republicans, conservatives, soldiers. They hate everybody that doesn't vote Dem. During the year also, we had a hard time with the American flag. It became very important to the media to side with and fight for the right to disrespect the flag. And... Even say the American flag was racist. I can surmise Hollywood and the resistance with one tweet from Deborah Messing. Terry, this is amazing. Actress Deborah Messing posted a photo on Instagram Wednesday praising her young son for kneeling to the national anthem. Messing was delighted over her son's action, taken to Instagram to cry. Well, who's crying? I'm crying. Message. Messing said in the caption of the photo and the hashtag BLM. Messing in the past has come out in support of those who kneel during the National Anthem, an action recently started by uh, Colin Kaepernick to promote America's discrimination against minorities. In September, Messing tweeted out a link showing Democratic Representative Sheila Jackson of Texas kneeling in solidarity with NFL players. Terry, this is amazing. And our soundbite is just that. The National Anthem is... Fucking racist. And you can guarantee this was on MSTNC. ...is not randomly attacking these players. He is attacking them because they're kneeling during the national anthem. And the national anthem is not a white supremacist symbol. 
and the president has become the he's white, the, some of the words of the national anthem yeah. are, are, are you, you white supremacists. The, you think the national anthem is I think racist? This is a, I think this is a country whose history is racist, whose history is steeped in white supremacy, and the anthem reflects that in its, in its well, very it's words. also a nation Versus with very important ideals that have worn down those injustices so over time and created a more just so society, ask, and people have died under that flag Under, for those ideas. Understood. My so, father and my can, grandfather are uh, among those who serve. You can yeah. have opinions, you know, about policing and whatnot, but don't disrespect so the flag. So it's a disrespect to, 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 to take a knee and respectfully sit there. I mean, he's not turning his back on the flag. He's not burning it. He's not dragging it through uh, the dirt. What's disrespectful about what he's doing? We stand. He just Why? takes two. It takes two minutes to pay choose. that respect to our anthem and to our flag so and to question, all the sacrifices that that is how far we become deranged in the in the media and into our athletics. Under Obama for eight years, the national anthem was the same. The American flag was the same. There were fucking rebel flags hanging up. But now all of a sudden, all that's just fucking white nationalist bollyhoo. Under Obama, there were police shootings. He was even speaking about it and saying police are fucking horrible. He didn't go full all in with the or lynching people, but he implied it. But our media, to include sports, weren't crazy. So now we segue into the bad calls of 2017 sports. NFL fumbles away his reputation, drives for social justice pay dirt. This may be news to some, but the NFL exists in part to influence legislative change. Lobbying Congress now important part of the league's mission, right up there with the administration of professional football league. That's what we observed during the 2017 NFL season. The league green-lighted players kneeling, sitting, and giving power salutes and not open defiance of the national anthem. Commissioner Roger Goodell and players are pushing Congress for prison reform and other actions unrelated to football. And the league agreed to spend almost $100 million on social justice. All the while, the league's popularity, ticket sales, and television ratings plummeted. But who cares? Lynn Media loves a new face of football, and I love Colin Kaepernick. The catalyst protests and angered untold numbers of fed-up fans who have bid adieu to the NFL, following our examples of how the left-stream media covered the debacle. Dante Stallworth, CNN, talking about the NFL plan to get involved in social justice. It's also, again, from what I'm hearing from players directly involved in these talks, they're telling me it's also about the gender pay gap. It's also about housing discrimination. They have so many things they are interested in advocating for, and they want the NFL to take ownership in, in and help be able to use the NFL platform. Michael McCarthy of the Sporting News complained that TV networks are refusing to show NFL protests. Three weeks ago, the NFL partner TV networks refused to show angry fans booing protesting players. Now they're worrying networks are refusing to show any protests during the national anthem. Oh, that'd just be horrible. Evan Grossman, New York Daily News. Honestly, what is more difficult to watch, an NFL player to his knees or one laying emotionless on a stretcher? Troy Aikman, his well-documented history with concussions, has said he has no memory of playing the 1994 NFC game, or an NFC championship game. Aikman battered brain will never get the kind of blame reserved for Colin Kaepernick's afro. Oh, really? Harold Jenkins, Philadelphia Eagles, quoted by Undefeated. We're talking about using the NFL platform to talk about issues that are important to African-American community, on top of using the legislative power to create change. Clayton Yates, also the Undefeated. 
There was no responsible way around saying that Colin Kaepernick had the blackest year in sports. His actions regarding the National Anthem football have set off a fury of activity so huge that every person in America has an opinion about his action. On the strength alone, you have to say his protests were effective. I don't care about the interior chalk talk or whether or not police are actually less racist. That's not Cap's job to fix. So facts don't matter. Stephen Pettit, People Magazine, on Beyonce awarding Colin Kaepernick the Muhammad Ali Legacy Award. The picture of Beyonce and Colin Kaepernick just saved 2017. Kaylin Beyond, senior affiliated faculty with the University of California Berkeley Islamophobia Research and Documentation Project, writing about Colin Kaepernick on Al Jazeera. For social justice advocates, Kaepernick becomes a hero following in the footsteps of Muhammad Ali. I stop right there, not reading more. New York Daily News senior justice writer and Black Lives Matter activist Sean King. It's racism, it's bigotry, it's discrimination. Period. It's not football. Don't call football. If you call a decision by 32 teams not to sign this man a football decision, you don't know football and probably voted for Donald Trump. David Dennis Jr., adjunct journalism professor at Morehouse College, writing on the Crew blog that Tom Brady is an un-American for supporting President Trump. Roland Martin, News 1 on Kaepernick prolonged free agency. Well, I think it's a case where we'll change our graphic. Colin Kaepernick is not being blackballed. He's being whiteballed. And it goes on and on and on. They just loved him so much that even a guy like LeBron James, who already tarnished himself being a basketball player and going actually politicking for Hillary Clinton, he tweets to the president, you bum, Steph Curry already said he ain't going, so therefore ain't no invite. Going to White House was a great honor until you showed up. Tied up in all this was Jamel Hill. Drew Magary, Gentleman Corley, writing on the suspension of ESPN Sports Center co-anchor and Trump critic Jamel Hill, who said horrible things to press the United States that would have been racist under Obama. ESPN Sports Center anchor Hill, of course, was already forced to apologize earlier this fall, which called President Trump a white supremacist on Twitter. Never mind that such a label is wholly appropriate for Trump, given his history of discrimination in real estate and support for blatantly oppressive policies and his fervent defense of uh, Nazis. I talked to three black people this week. They couldn't come up with one thing he's ever been racist towards black. So I want you to know, it's all bullshit. And never mind the outrage over Hill's tweet came from phony megabots. This is ESPN going, sorry, the mouthy lady was mad at all the racism, and in the process they offered up Hill, whose only crime was to be accurate in speaking her mind as a sacrifice to those same jackasses, including the president himself. The Root, Damon Young. The President of the United States and administration are in a de facto state of war against anyone who isn't male, anyone who isn't straight, anyone who isn't white, anyone who isn't Christian, anyone who isn't wealthy, and anyone who doesn't place the interests of straight, wealthy, and Christian white men above the interests of everybody else. It goes on and on. I can keep reading. I have hundreds here that I've stacked up. But the reality is, I think it's not Colin Kaepernick. I think it's the Baltimore Ravens. The precipitous fall in ratings and everything came about the time the Baltimore Ravens, uneducated young men, stood up for the British National Anthem and kneeled for the American. That shows the lack of history, the lacks of intellectual honesty amongst this BLM advocate group. British were the slave trade, not Americans. Americans had slaves, but the British started it all. And their owner, a non-Trump person, 
outright said, outright said, the protests are to blame for our problems in filling the seats. He said it. It's so bad, they fucking canceled Week 17 Sunday Night Football. The ratings are so bad, they didn't even air it. They moved all the games to 11, uh, 12, what was it, 12, 12, 30, 12 o'clock, whatever the fuck. Early games and the 4.30 games. That's how bad the NFL has gotten. That's how bad ESPN has gotten. That's how bad everybody's gotten. And it just goes back to Trump's range syndrome. Because all of this was going under Obama. Nothing has changed from Obama to Trump other than you don't like him. So you got to go with the scaremongering that he's a racist. Yeah, you can't even show he is a racist. You can't say anything like that because the reality is he's employed more black people than any other Democrat has ever done. He put food on the table for black people. And the percentage of black people that voted for Trump over Romney is higher. Checkmate, you're full of shit. Now we get to the most important thing of the entire year was Russia, Russia, Russia. I'm not playing sound bites because we have all sorts of sound bites that pretty much sum up the media was totally, totally, totally enamored with the story. And none of it's true. Vox this week put out an article, pretty much said nothing's there, nothing's going to happen. The nation has done it. Well, NBC News... Not a chance Trump will be charged with collusion. And NBC News sending a not-so-sell message to his viewers, and especially to its correspondents on the true state of the most touted Trump-Russian collusion investigation. One has to ask this question because, remarkable, remarkably, NBC News published a column by Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson, a resistance member, that asked about the possibility of collusion charges and answered, will President Trump be charged with collusion? This is what she said. President Donald Trump is right about one thing. He may never be charged with collusion. Despite its current use of sort of catch-all term for Trump administration alleged ties to Russian meddling, collusion is only a federal crime in the area of antitrust law. In this legal context, collusion occurs when two or more people or entities decide to gain an unfair market advantage or and or secretly limit open competition. Wasn't Alan Dershowitz making the same point earlier this year? Too bad NBC News and most of the rest of the mainstream media didn't pay attention to him. Only now it seems that NBC News was at least willing to publish a column putting forth an otherwise unwelcome point of view. One of the quintessential examples of collusion is an agreement to engage in price fixing. Or put another way, collusion has nothing to do with Trump campaign and Russia. It goes through the article to pretty much say nothing will happen. If Mueller comes up with something something all it will be is something to do with his business ties. It's not going to be Russia collusion. Because as we have learned by the end of 2017 yet this investigation still goes on. is that the FBI and Hillary played for the dossier. There is more GPS fusion linkage to the Democrats. They were searching and working with Russians. They had meetings with Russians and Americans did, or Trumps didn't. So for one entire year, the media has, at the behest of the Democratic National Committee, 
pushed a false narrative and a gigantic fake news story. Isn't that unbelievable? No, it's not. It's what our media is. So, to end like we started, I, I have to play my favorite of the year soundbite. And it kind of starts with Obama. We started with everybody talking about Obama was great at the beginning of the year. This is what Katie Turr said this month. I wonder if it was this week. And I want to distill it down and show you how incredibly biased Trump derangement syndrome has made our media. And we've seen time and again here, Katie Turr, whether it's from Attorney General Sessions or Jared Kushner down the list of people associated with the president, uh, forgetting to put contacts with Russians on disclosure forms, forgetting about meetings they had in the case of Attorney General Sessions with Ambassador Kislyak. There does seem to be something about Russia that they don't want to loss. talk about. There's a whole lot of memory loss. And if they really had nothing there, then why would they just not release right. all the information at one time and get it over with? So there's a lot of questions. At the very least, uh, they were trying to cover something up. I don't know how big it was. At the very least, it seems that they were trying to cover something up and might get caught up in that. Uh, the bigger issue, though, it's not just uh, did Donald Trump collude or, or coordinate or did he obstruct, is what are we going to do going forward? And how are we going to defend against this? The Washington Post uh, had a great article just detailing um, the steps that the U.S. did not take right. after the fall of the Soviet Union, after the Cold War, to make sure that Russian influence didn't get peddled again in an effective way. And, and Putin really brought that up. But how do we, how do we combat against disinformation against the spreading of actual fake news how do we guard our social media how do we tell who is a real person and who is not a real person i mean this is this is an attack that that can last for decades longer than donald trump ever lasts in this office and we haven't figured out an effective way going forward because we are so angry at each other we're all in our in our holes we're we're in our tribes we're screaming across social media and we're allowing it to divide us it's a problem that we um have got to figure out how to, how to solve by coming together as a country and we need a leader who will help us come together and as clint pointed out earlier that russian interference has continued completely unabated since the election of last year as we fight with each other on social media. we need a leader to bring us together. Now, there's two points I'm going to make on this. Point one, the media has done nothing but been divisive since the fall of Hillary. It's just obvious. They've gone with it. We've covered over the last hour, two hours of this podcast. It's racist. It's this. It's blackwashed. It's whitewashed. She was the smartest person in the world. He's a piece of shit. He's deranged. He's mentally unstable. His fucking voter base are all a bunch of racist, xenophobes, sexist. The media has propagated this divisive attitude. ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, CNN, and MSDNC. Fox has done the opposite. They've gone against liberals. So our media construct, construct is all divisive. But this eight years of Obama is going to take a long time to get out of, and you can't do it one year of Trump. Because remember, under Obama, these are the things he said. And, and I have a soundbite. He inf refused to call Islam, radical Islamic terrorism that. 
He never said it. He downplayed black-on-white violence. His most notable instance was when a black nationalist murdered five Dallas police officers. Barry said, I think it's very hard to entangle the motives of the shooter. The motive was crystal clear. The cops were were there protecting demonstrators against the alleged systematic racism of police officers that caused the deaths of Flanda Castile and Alton Sterling. Later, the shooter, Micah Xavier Johnson, stated that he wanted to kill white people, especially white officers. He never hit that. He was unconcerned about Black Lives Matter. And I would say he formed it, as I've said on the show all the time. I remember sitting in a fucking pharmacy, him looking up and saying, go to the street in your house, coat and slippers, and fight. His attorney general said, we must bleed in the street. More people will die for social justice. Seven, he called his grandmother a typical white person. The point I was making was that now my grandmother harbors a racial animosity. She doesn't, but she's a typical white person. Who, If she sees somebody on the street that she doesn't know, there's a reaction that has been bred into her experiences that don't go away and that sometimes come out in the wrong way. And that's just the nature of race in our society. He, he said it. He made up white girlfriend that he broke up with over race issues. That's a total lie. It was in his book. It's a lie. Five, his bitter clinger comment. He stayed with it. They get bitter, cling to guns, religion, or antipathy to people who aren't like them, or anti-immigrant sentiments, or anti-trade sentiments, as a way to explain the frustrations. Four, he used the White House Easter prayer breakfast to attack Christians. I would say he did it every time. I just had an argument the other day with somebody that that is the most factually incorrect, dis intellectually dishonest statement Barack Obama ever said. And some people say, no, but you can keep your fucking health covered. No. He used that all the time. He used any Islamic terrorism act as a cudgel to back Christian because he's a true progressive and he's a secularist. Everybody talking about he's a Muslim. No, he's not religious. He's agnostic at the best. Atheist at the core, I believe. And he hated Christians because he's a Democrat. They hate Christians. Three, he urged Latino voters to punish their enemies. In 2010, Barry pushed the identity politics by suggesting the Latino voters punish their enemies and reward the friends that stand them in the voting booth. So what happens if you're Latino and don't like Democratic policies? You're not truly a Latino. This is just one example of the way Democrats, including Obama, lump people into identity groups instead of seeing them as individuals. I have said over and over, and I argued with my neighbor who was a total Obamaite, and they took care of, they took advantage of every freebie Barry ever handed out. I went to the website. I couldn't get there other than that. There was no white people. There was every little demographic. They had a special page pandering to you. The left-handed, uh, missing a leg, transvestite, black, Latino, it. That's who they wanted. They didn't want me. They didn't want my vote. I was a white male. I was evil. Number two, unnecessarily insert himself in racially sensitive issues. His famous, if I had a sunny look like Trayvon statement, made a non-black American uncomfortable and stoked the fl flames of racism. George Zimmerman was cast as the bad guy cop wannabe that gunned down an innocent black man. This inserted more bias in the case. Zimmerman had taken a pretty heavy-duty beating for Martin. None of that ever came out. And by the end of that, and Michael Brown, which this article doesn't cover... Don't hand, don't hands up, don't shoot became truth. It's still truth. The media took pictures. Even after the attorney general, a black man, a, li, a fucking uber lib, fucking militant black guy in the 60s said it wasn't true. Most of the country believed it. 
And more importantly, and the number one reason he divided this country, he said Americans are racist. Barry wasn't one to bring in post-racial era. He fanned the flames of racism. He was quick to blame the police and systematic racism for the shooting of black suspects, even before all the details were in. Any criticism of the policies were deemed racist. Don't like government forcing you to buy product Obamacare that you don't want? Racist. Don't want higher taxes? Racist. You don't want to multi multiply regulations exponentially? Racist. And, and, oh, and you, or sorry, oh, and you want to make sure the presidential candidate is actually American? Racist. Everything was racist. He even said it. Attitudes about my presidency among whites in northern states are very different from whites in southern states. So you know, are, are, are there folks who, whose primary concern about me has been that I seem foreign, the other? Uh, are, are those who champion the birther movement, <laughs> you know, feeding off of uh, bias. Absolutely. Is Donald Trump divisive? Yes. Is he as divisive as Barack Hussein Obama? No. So Katie Turr and the media who talk off their little fucking high horse and tell us all that we need to know what they say and believe what they believe, you're on crack. It's going to take decades to get the divisive out of our country. And that divisive came under Barack Obama. That's where it came from. It's not Donald Trump. It's not something new. He put everybody in little groups and told them to hate other groups. And in the process, he made this country so goddamn partisan, like I said, decades before us goes against them. Us being the American people, them being Washington. So that's my favorite soundbite of the year. I have some other faves for the end, but the reality is I love that soundbite because that sums up 2017 in a nutshell. 2017 can be clarified, quantified, and totally exampled. And that soundbite, we need to get together. We need to get together for progressive means you need to hate Trump and join the resistance. And vote for Hillary next time. That's what they mean. To our stats of the year, without a bumper, because this is a long podcast. 250 podcasts since 2015. Makes me kind of feel good. About 100 this year. There have been 5,255 listens, 260 likes. The most listened sound bites are 216.17 with 82, 211, and 219. 17 were also listened to in the 60s. The top listeners, I'm going to ex exempt family members because my son of all persons had the most listens this year. Daryl Arnold, number two at 21. Steven in Florida, our graphics guy, was number three with 19 podcast listens to. Top countries, United States with 3,192 listens. Germany is number two with 1,678. Thanks, Germany. Thailand's 104. Top cities, San Francisco is leading the way with 479 listens. I don't know who you are. I don't think you're coming up on the stats, so I know you're not Daryl Arnold, who doesn't live in San Francisco. Bob. Boykin, Boynton, Virginia, and Ashburn, Virginia are the other two top cities with 414 and 378. SoundCloud was the most used 
thing, and I think that's why I don't have all the stats because uh, looking at a different site that grabs, I had more than 5,200 listens, but that's just the SoundCloud stats I'm using. And um, Apple and then Android. And there were 18 station algorithms that were playing my podcast this year, and I don't even know who the hell they are. Um, apps that were t- popular were iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Attic, and a lot of RSS. Uh, 4,700 came from RSS feeds. RSS feeds. Um, Hype Machine, I don't even know what that is, and G Potter was another one. This year, there were 100 measures passed by Congress and passed into law, and it's less than 2015, but the most in quite a long time. So when your media tells you that the GOP Congress has done nothing, they've actually done 97, excuse me, measures. Top Google searches worldwide were Hurricane Irma, iPhone 8, iPhone 10, Matt Lauer, Megan Mark, Global, Irma, Bitcoin, Las Vegas shooting, North Korea, and solar eclipse. Top global actors, Meghan Markle, don't know what she is, Kevin Spacey, who's now got the get-out-of-jail-free card because he's gay, Gal Gadot, Louis C.K., and Bill Skarkard, who I think he's in the Vikings. Global musicians and bands, Ariana Grande, Linkin Park, Lady Gaga, Mariah Carey, and Ed Sheeran. Global TV shows, Stranger Thing and 13 Reasons Why, which we covered on the show, Big Brother Brazil, Game of Thrones, we covered on the show, and Iron Fist. Global movies was it, never seen it. Wonder Woman, didn't see it. Beauty and the Beast, you ain't gonna go see that shit. Logan and Justice League, ain't seen any of that fucking shit. Number one, uh, the number one sporting event was Wimbledon, then the Super Bowl, Mayweather McGregor, Tour de France, and World Series. The number one U.S. protest searched on Google was NFL National Anthem, Charlottesville, Boston Free Speech, and UC Berkeley protests, followed by St. Louis protest. U.S. athletes, the top searched person was Floyd Mayweather, Gordon Hayward, Aaron Boone, Paul George, and Tony Romo. U.S. sports teams, Yankees, Astros, Celtics, Dodgers, and of course the Atlanta Falcons for losing last year. Other interesting stat to close out our stats to go to a music break and then get into our last news of social media for the year. Kentucky County, its entire existence of 147 years, they never voted a Republican president in till Donald Trump. What does that say, boys and girls? No, it doesn't say everybody's xenophobic and racist and sexist and deplorable. It pretty much says, America's not what you think it is. America's sick of being called racist, sexist, and homophobic. America don't give a fuck about that shit. America just wants to pay the bills and raise a family. And I don't think any of you on the left have captured that. So, to a music break and news, social media nuggets. Isn't the best place to find a lover So the bar is where I go mm-hmm. Me and my friends at the table Doing shots, tripping fast And then we talk slow mm-hmm. Come over and start up a conversation With just me and trust me I'll give it a chance now Take my hand, stop it And the man on the jukebox And then we start to dance And now I'm singing like Girl, you know I want your love 
love was handmade for somebody like me. Come on now, follow my lead. I may be crazy, don't mind me. Say, boy, let's not talk too much. Grab on my waist and put that body on me. Come on now, follow my lead. Come, come on now, follow my lead. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet do. Although my heart is falling too. I'm in love with your body. Last night you were in my room And now my bed sheets smell like you Every day discovering something brand new well, I'm in love with your body Bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. 
stop. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. game on campus these days and they call it pc pc politically correct and it's not just politics it's everything it's what you eat it's what you wear and it's what you say if you don't watch yourself you can get in a buttload of trouble for instance we have right see these girls yeah no you don't those are women you call them girls and they'll pop your figs save the whales okay he's in the military now To our last military corner of the year, U.S. military issues alert from North Korean propaganda found on multiple bases. That's scary as fuck. This is from December 22nd. Army also announces two new Afghanistan troop deployments. Army plans on deploying the 1st Striker Brigade Combat Team and the 2nd Infantry Brigade Combat Team of Fort Carson, Colorado, 4th Infantry Division to Afghanistan. The two brigades will replace the 4th Brigade Combat Team 25th and the 1st Infantry Brigade Combat Team of the 82nd. Godspeed, guys. Be safe. The Navy just gave 48,000 sailors who fared, failed their PRT a sweet deal. Because they're so short and because Trump is expanding the military as we need it since we are still fighting wars. Well, doggone it. They are going to get a freebie. So they failed, those 48,000 people, when the clock strikes midnight tomorrow night. It's like it never really happened. And they just gotta pass their next one. You lucky fuckers. And if you can't pass the fucking Navy PT test, come on, people. I'm a fat, broke ass, freaking retiree. I'm calling you out. All Marines will have to take and pass a new battle skill test starting in 2018. Before newly minted Marines even reach the fleet, they spend months inundated with blah, 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 blah. But in the year after boot camp at the School of Infantry, Marine combat training skills have faded. That's why the Corps is launching an annual battle skills test. First reported by Marine Corps Times, Marines will be evaluated on 30 out of the 178 common skills they learned early in their careers, according to Mardamin 69317. It's going to cover land nav with a host of specific tasks broken into fallen categories. Basic infantry, communication, first aid, history, leadership, and uniform criminal justice. And I think the most important thing about that is the Army used to have the MCT, SOI, and all these stuff you had to take, and then they got rid of it. They need to bring it back. All those skills are so important. I think they degradate over time, so that's pretty cool. Tasks and Purpose had a great article. Six types of dudes being mad in their cars on video. My wife said, this is me, with periods of me, 
followed by me, but I do the podcast in my house. Number one, the anytime, anyplace guy. Reasons for a car studio seem to range from a lack of a studio to wanting to record on a whim. Alt-right icon and Fizzgate, Pizzagate, conspiracy theorist, Fizzgate, where the fuck did I, how did I read that? Conspiracy theorist Mike Saranovich is a kind of video blogger who records whenever the gorilla tugs on his mindset. While he does have a couch that seems perfectly usable for his new Tropics Hawking videos, he's also happy to start a recording in his car to give you facts on Russia collusion with Trump administration. The number two, the I don't have anywhere else to put all my stuff guy. And they talk about guys having shit all over the cars. Three, the dry food food guy. There's some crazy guy that actually does it while he's he's called the angry grandpa. <clears throat> so he goes through drive drive throughs and does his podcast. The perfect set dressing guy who has all sorts of cool shit in his car. The if you ever you ever just sit in your truck guy and under there they have stuff about white privilege which is really funny man is confronted for having a nice car and white privilege another one why don't Asians complain about white privilege and I, I don't know I just thought it was kind of funny because um, they close with the sixth type of guy is a frustrated white wife avoider guy no that's not me um, I do the podcast when she's not here so doesn't really count Five totally achievable New Year's resolution for vets who've been out of the military for a while. I thought this was going to be the greatest article in the world. I thought, Tony, you probably need this. I did get a Fitbit for Christmas. I'm going on a big weight loss kick because I'm a fat sloth. And I've changed what I drink, including going down to diet uh, diet sodas and uh, diet Gatorade because I'm addicted to the fierce fruit punch. But this wasn't that article. But it's funny all the same. Number one. Complete a push-up. Remember push-ups? Did a lot of them in the military. Do one in 2018 and no cheating. Go all the way down, all the way up, then stop. Don't try doing any more than that, or you'll risk discovering that you can, in fact, do only one push-up. That would be a very depressing and defeat the entire point of this simple confidence-boosting exercise. Number two, shave sometimes. Not happening. Number three, get a haircut. Gonna go get one today. Number four, drink water. Instead of big gulps of Mountain Dew and all that bullshit, drink some water. Five, Learn to dance. Take your wife out, Saul's in. I don't know. I might get most of those. Next article. Tax money at work. The NEH gives $50,000 to professor who warns liberals shouldn't watch Fox News. We gave 50000 to this guy. This is the stuff he, the actual article is believing without reason or why liberals shouldn't watch Fox News. This is the stuff he said. 74% of American adults believe in God. 72% believe in miracles. 68% believe in heaven. And 57% believe in the virgin birth. Thus, more Americans believe that Jesus was born of a virgin than the humans are part of the phylogenic tree. As of May 2014, 22-28% to of Americans believe that the Bible is the actual word of God and is to be taken literally word for word. People hold shockingly irrational beliefs, he writes. Merry Christmas, you shockingly irrational Jesus freaks. The conspiracy theory that Mandelbaum unfurls is that the little crawl of the text along the bottom of Fox News screen can internally and consciously persuade liberals they might be wrong about something. And I covered that because that's how far from reality liberals are. Go to CNN, watch the furl. Breaking news is the box truck was the sheriff's truck. He was in Tucson, by the way. I've been to that golf course. It's beautiful. I used to stay in a hotel next to it. Go figure. 
Campus Reform's Top 10 Liberal Outrages of 2017 starts off our crazy. Number one, Leftist Fight Club trains UCF students to fight Republicans. In early February, the Knights for Socialism group of the University of Central Florida held the Leftist Fight Club working sh- workshop to teach liberal students how to bash the fash. Yeah, we've heard that all year, haven't we? Fantastic. Number two, students love Trump tax plan when told it's Bernie's. It's going to play it, but i got a lot of sound bites today. I didn't play it. Three, Greek life retreat cancels after banana peel found the tree. Remember that? They found a tree, said it was racism, and it was just somebody accidentally throwing a banana peel. Four, gender swap experiment shows Hillary even less likable as a man. We cover that one. Number five, UNLV professor blames Las Vegas massacre on, yeah, you're right, Trump. Six, white privilege checklist appears in Minnesota dorm. Seven, CSUF professor alleged assault conservative students on campus and was proven and was fired. Eight, we covered most of these, but I still have to do the top ten. Algebra, geometry, perpetuates white privilege. Nine, college asked students to contemplate pee privilege. I'm just going to let that sit. I don't even know what the fuck that is. Ten, professor lets students choose on grains for stress reduction. That sums up our year in review on fucking that crazy thing we call college. But we continue with five things professors actually said in 2017. Number one, professor suggests Texans deserve hurricane for supporting Trump. Remember that one? I don't believe in instant karma, but this kind of feels like it for Texans. Hopefully, it will help them realize GOP doesn't care about them. Yeah. He was fired. Two. Professor says House GOP should be lined up and shot. He was fired. We cover that one. Nauseam on the show. Three. Professor calls whites inhuman assholes. Let's says let them die. We just cut. We just covered that one. Had the hashtags. Hashtag let them fucking die. Four. Professor says Otto Wambier got exactly what he deserved because he had white privilege. So when North Korea fucked him up, he had that coming. Five, Drexel Professor blames whiteness for Texas Massacre. Yeah, whiteness. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. But the positive on this, there's actually been a survey, free speech gradually gaining ground on campus. A new survey of 461 colleges and universities around the country said that they found that 32.3% of colleges and university surveys received FIRE's lowest red light rating for maintaining speech codes. And that's an improvement. It's up slightly. Good for them. To go into 2018, I only picked one article we have not covered in 2017. And I, I got to do it one more last, one more time. Uh, this professor, all right, and what's two of them, two San Diego professors, are our assholes of the day. Fuck you, asshole. You asshole. This is why we can't have nice things. You asshole! Are you just an asshole? Is that it? Fuck you, you asshole! You ever hear it saying, you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole. You run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You! You are such an asshole! You are an asshole. You dumb asshole! Asshole. Fuck you! 
you asshole. He's an asshole. It's been an interesting year as we talked. A lot of everything. Math, having grades, fucking everything's racist. But this one really takes the cake. Professors, farmers markets cause environmental gentrification. Two San Diego State University professors recently criticized farmers markets for being white spaces. That's like white people, I guess. That contribute to the oppression of minorities. Pascal Yozarte, hashtag Marcelelli, or hyphen, if you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag. And Fernando J. Bosco, two geography, profe- geography professors, not geography, because I don't know what that is, of SDSU, criticized the whiteness of farmer markets in a chapter for Just Green Enough, a new anthology published by Rutledge in December. Farmers markets are often white spaces where the food consumption habits of white people are normalized. The anthology G, which features contributions from a variety of professors, aims to highlight the harms of environmental gentrification, a process which environmental improvements lead to the displacement of long-term residents. Farmers' markets are one of such environmental improvements that can lead to gentrification, Bosco and Yozar Marcelli argue, saying farmers' markets are exclusionary since locals may not be able to afford the food and are feel excluded from these new places. That's that's actually an article. That's a fucking article, which within it, I didn't see this. Dreaming of a Black Christmas. UCLA professor Melinda Abdullah recently called for a Black Christmas as a protest against capitalism. The idea is older than one might expect. Medila Abdullah, professor of Pan-African Studies at the University of California, Los Angeles, recently wrote an op-ed that called for a Black pro. Christmas protests against white capitalism. Abdullah said that protests would be a collective blow against President Donald Trump, who she said represents an economic system that literally kills black people. The Root, a popular black racist website, repeated Abdullah's call for a black Christmas, but the idea is hardly new. Black activists encouraged a Christmas season boycott every year that I can remember when I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn. I heard woke relatives and community professors encourage the same action. Abdullah claims that capitalism literally kills black people, ignores America's successes as Michael Jackson, Booker T. Washington, blah, 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 blah. For conservatives who only hear another SJWW down on neo-segregationalist incentives, a description analyst of why blacks have called for black Christmas is in order. To begin, I should state something blacks all know, but seldom admit in front of white audience. Black American status as a consumer class is a national shame. When I sit for my haircut in my predominantly black area bed, for Stuveit, I may hear my barber say something like, man, y'all need to stop spending your money on bullshit and leave something for your kids. It's worth mentioning that the conservative conversations seldom go whites. Gentrification stirs similar sentiments among many blacks because the millions of dollars that sparked the Brooklyn resistance didn't come from inside the black community. Are the black men at my barbershop spreading malign black stereotypes? The latest data on financial status of black Americans confirms my barber's contention. According to the Urban Institute study on wealth and inequality, the average black family has 19000 in our retirement savings against whites 130 blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, okay. A black Christmas. All right. Which leads perfectly into our... This is from BuzzFeed. This would never be printed anywhere else to get away with it. 37 things white people need to stop ruining in 2018. I'm not going to read them all. Protests, 
macaroni and cheese, K-pop, sneaker culture, trees. America. 70% of voters were white. Majority voted for Trump. Okay. Grammys, Oscars, uh, Kodak, Blacks, Tunnel Visions, songs, basically the black songs can't listen, car freestyles, hip-hops, identifying as Filipino, identifying as black, and Googling things white people ruin. Hmm. Got it. BuzzFeed. Google's ad-buying tool allowed the suggested racist keywords like blacks ruin everything and Jewish parasite. When we type white people ruin in Google's and keyword tool, it suggests terms like black destroy everything. Well, you just destroyed any goodwill by fucking doing an article that's fucking horrible like this. The number one thing that came back is white people ruin everything. I don't even know why they said that. You put in exactly white people ruin, it brought you the number one thing, and then it brought you everything else, and black people... Uh, Arthur Black, Christian, Jewish. It gave you nine ideas. But that's racist. Okay. So is Rachel Ray, supposedly. Rachel Ray posted an image for an Israeli night dinner, including maize-stuffed grape leaves, which are delicious, hummus, beet dip, eggplant, and sun-dried tomato dip, wal- walnut and red pepper dip, and tabbouleh. Never had tabbouleh. It's great. But James Zogsby said, that's cultural genocide. Damn it, Rachel Ray. This is cultural genocide. It's not Israeli food. It's Arab, Lebanese, Palestinian, Syrian, Jordanian. First, the Israelites take the land and ethnically cleanse it of Arabs. Now they take their food and culture and claim it's theirs too. Everybody in the world attacked him like, are you a fucking moron? Everybody in the Middle East eats hummus. Fuck off. Mmm. Cuffy had the best tweet in that thread. Calm your tits. It's just hummus. <laughs> Interesting thing we found in the crazy crazy that's not related to cultural appropriation and stupid college shit. Sign a contract before sex. Politically correctness could destroy passion. That's actually a call that you should sign some kind of contract. Hmm. Year in review, the 10 most outrageously liberal TV scenes. Number one, Degrassi, next class. Teen drama celebrates brave abortion with ice cream. Two, the Mick, seven-year-old transgender boy asking if he's a lesbian. Three, switched at birth freeform. Black Lives Matter students claim media is biased against us. Oh, really? Four, dear white people, Netflix. Students bemoan institutional racism. Ridicule Republicans. Five, Mary kills people. Never heard of any of these shows. Not allowing a euthanasia is a form of torture. Six difficult people on Hulu. Lead character cuss out rapist Trump voting pieces of shit. Seven, Broad City on Comedy Centra. Florida, a white supremacist wet dream. Eight, Smilf. I'm not even reading because I don't even know what that show is. Chelsea, Netflix, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, a harlot, trolloped out with summer whore lipstick on her face. And ten, I love you, America, Hulu. Jesus depicted as a pro-choice liberal loves health care and kneels. Hmm. Okay. To our animal stuff, pig kills border agent and two other Texans. Oh, my God. A wild boar tragically killed a U.S. Border Patrol agent and two others on Christmas Day after a truck collided with an animal in southwest Texas. A truck struck the wild pig, causing a Ford expedition to swerve on the highway and crash into Mercedes, resulting in three deaths later Monday. Damn pigs. This one scared the shit out of me. Seriously. 
And it's our sex one for 2017. I'm covered about dolls, craziness. This one, fear. Fear. Wife accidentally bites off her husband's testicle in a surge of excitement during aggressive lovemaking. Ah! A man was holding his severed testicles in a rice bowl when ambulance arrived. His wife repeatedly said, I accidentally bit it off, according to media reports. The incident occurred in the wee hours of Boxing Day in Taichung, West Taiwan. The man, 51, is being treated, and his wife, 49, poorly has mental illness. You might want to take your sexual play down a notch. And that is our news and social media nuggets. 2017, our last one, let's go to our lighter fare. So since it's the holiday season, I decided, you know what the hell, let's do a couple fun ones from the holiday. One had one, oh, excuse me, eight million views and counting a viral video of a mother having her son come home, a soldier, for Christmas. And the second one was actually Governor Abbott and it's adorable, not for political reasons, but he had a dog, a dog opening a present, and I thought it was just cute as shit. Enjoy. I just want to make it really special for you, so I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes and rip it down. And I want you to start from the top and rip it. Guys, and just pull it straight down. All of it, all of it. After a lighter fair, we have some serious stuff. The first thing I want to cover is BBC News tweet. New Year's Eve party in Berlin to have safe zones for women. Guy Benson asks, shouldn't this safe zone be known as Berlin? And I think Hale Razor so summed it up. 2014, let unvetted migrants in. They're safe. 15, the same. 16, the same. 17, we need a place where women can be safe from migrants. What does that say about your society? And I want all you liberals out to think of that. Think of that. Trump's a xenophobe, but Berlin, London, France. How many stories did I report in 2017 of migrants sexually assaulting women? No safe zones in cities. It's scary. And then I had to do 
a fantastic ending to this one based on some really fun stuff. So here is the positives for 2017. Parodies of celeb videos, which we played some in the beginning of the Faithless Electors. There were two great parodies of it. The Dave Chappelle segment on SNL where they just mocked the shit out of liberals believing that Hillary was going to win and losing their mind. Katie Turr getting destroyed on taxes. And Chris Cuomo, Chris Cuomo being destroyed on his bias. Because in 2017, there were some gems where the liberal elite got their hats handed to them. This is election night in America. I can't believe after all this, it's going to finally be over. I don't know. We'll see. Trump's already got lawyers to fight the results. Okay, don't even joke about that or I will leave. Guys, we're about to have our first woman president. Like, this is going to be a historic night. Yeah, yeah, it might be a historic night, but just don't forget, it's a big country. My friend at the Huffington Post says she wins by five points. Oh, I don't know. My friend at Slate says she'll win by three. <laughs> oh, well, she'll definitely win the Electoral College, for sure. But I guess there's like a nightmare scenario where he wins the popular vote. Really? That's your nightmare scenario, huh? Because of shifting demographics, there might never be another Republican president in this country. Word. <laughs> you ever been around this country before? And we project Kentucky will go to Donald Trump. Yeah, well, of course he won Kentucky. I mean, that's where all the racists are. <laughs> all of them are in Kentucky? Oh, yeah, she got Vermont. Oh, snap, Vermont! <laughs> Three electoral votes. Now, that's a power grade. This says Florida is too close to call. Okay, no, no, it says too early to call. There's only 1% in. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and call it. Florida's going blue. To Latinos. To Latinos. <laughs> well, of course he's going to win Ohio. We knew that. But if we can get Pennsylvania, Florida, and North Carolina, we don't even need Ohio. Yeah, and if the Indians have four more runs... Uh, they would want a World Series too, dude. I'm gonna grab a Xanax from the bedroom. Okay, well, you grab me six. Yeah, I'm just gonna bring the whole bottle. How's that? Look, early returns are always gonna be a Republican because Republicans go to sleep early. That's just a fact. Um, I just talked to my brother-in-law at CBS. He says Trump's gonna win Florida. Where? Uh, I guess that the, the Latinos didn't hear about your toast. <laughs> Hey guys, what did I miss? Um, Larry, Trump might, Trump might actually win. I mean, of course. I, what are you talking about? I tried to tell him, Larry. What is happening? Why are women even voting for him? Yeah, I, I don't get you ladies. I mean, the country's... 55% women. I mean, if the country was 55% black, well, we'd have tons of black presidents. I mean, Flavor Flav would be president. <laughs> okay, um, I'll 
she has to do is come back and win Wisconsin, come back and win Michigan, come back and win uh, Pennsylvania. And some of the counties, are, the, the urban counties, are, they're so... Black people vote late. <laughs> yeah, let's hope there's a hundred thousand of us in Green Bay. <laughs> Your brothers love the Packers. You never know, guys. Alaska's still out there. We're now calling Alaska for Donald Trump. Oh, my God. I think America is racist. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I remember my great-grandfather told me something like that. But, you know, he was like a slave or something. I, I just, I can't believe it. Like, why aren't people turning out for Hillary the way they did for Barack Obama? I mean, maybe because you're replacing a charismatic 40-year-old black guy with a 70-year-old white woman. I mean, that's like the Knicks replacing Patrick Ewan with Neil Patrick Harris. And Donald Trump has been elected president of the United States. Yeah, you guys are right. It's a historic night. Don't worry about it. Eight years are going to fly by. Yeah, don't worry. It's going to be all white. <laughs> what about undocumented immigrants? Oh, they're not going nowhere. Come on, man. You act like everybody trying to pick their own strawberries. <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. I mean, do you even know what it's like to be a woman in this country where you can't get ahead no matter what you do? Oh. Jeez, I don't know. Let me put my thinking cap on on that one. I'll get back to <laughs> Now, come on, guys. Get some rest. You got a lot of big day. You got a big day of moping and writing on Facebook tomorrow. God, this is the most shameful thing America has ever done. <laughs> Election Day is Tuesday, November 8th. I know this because some famous actors told me. Thanks, famous actors. Thanks, famous actors. Thanks, famous actors. I have no idea. No idea. I was just thinking sometime in December. Maybe January. Wait, it's this year? I thought it was over. It turns out this election is important. Really important. Really important. Really, really important. Because I thought it was, you know, no big deal. Again, thanks, famous actors, because it's times like these when we realize just how lucky we are to have famous Hollywood actors. To guide us. To guide us. They know stuff we just don't know. Stuff we can't know. Because we're not famous actors. And they're not just acting smart. They are smarter. They are smarter. And thank goodness they made it clear that we must vote for Hillary. I could have made a terrible mistake without their help. I thought Clinton deleting all those emails was dishonest and corrupt. And put our national security at risk. But now we know it was all just an accident. Just an accident. It was just an accident. An accident that could happen to any of us. I mean, who among us couldn't accidentally hit the delete button 30,000 times? 30,000 times? 30,000 times. I'm actually quite embarrassed. I was going to vote for Trump before checking with, well, Scarlett and... Robert or... That, well, that little dude who was in something. I mean, I almost voted for Donald Trump just because he knows how to turn things around. 
wants to secure our borders, protect our religious freedoms. Wipe ISIS off the face of the earth, off the face of the earth. Let American companies compete on an even playing field. And let us keep more of our hard-earned money. But now I know, thinking that way was just plain... It was just plain... deplorable. Deplorable. Let's be honest. When a bunch of famous actors take time out of their busy day... To have their driver take them to the studio so they can look right into the camera... And share their collective wisdom and insights, well... You just have to pay attention. I just wish they would offer their advice more often. Like... Where to invest my money. How to raise my kids. Whether I should take that job in Cincinnati. What that uh, lump is on my elbow. Well, they certainly were right about one thing. Your vote really does matter. Really does matter. Your vote does matter. So on November 8th, please join us in sending a loud and clear message to each and every one of those Hollywood Einsteins. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. For nothing. For nothing. For nothing. Thanks. For nothing. On Tuesday, November 8th, this country will make one of the most important... The most important... The most important decisions in its history. Do we really want to give nuclear weapons to a man whose signature move is firing... Firing... Firing things? Hi, I'm a famous dude who has market appeal to 13-year-olds. And I'm famous and hot. I make skits that run on too long. I'm vaguely familiar. And I'm still hot. And we're going to tell you how to vote. We're rich, so our opinions are more important than yours. Much more important. If you like my movies, well then you should vote the way I do. Don't think for yourself. Bring celebrity worship to a new level. Be our political slaves. You're a dumb civilian, so obey. Obey us. Obey. 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 Obey us blindly. We're important, not you. You need to worship celebrities. I'm a B-list actor, and I'm still better than you. Famous people are just more intelligent. I thought this was a Trump ad. I mean, what's there to question? I make life decisions based on what celebrities do. We are your overlords. I joined Scientology for Tom Cruise. All right, we're starting to lose them. I'm the most famous guy here, and I like Hillary Clinton. I like Hillary Clinton, too. Who gives a fuck about her email? She's a woman. Whoa, you sexist bro. And I'm tired of hearing how she stole money from the Haiti earthquake victims, 98% of which went to the Clinton Foundation. She's a woman. Am I the only one who notices she's a woman? So make like a peasant and vote for Hillary Clinton without doing any independent research. Because remember, we're better than you. Let's get after this. Let's, uh, let's repeal Obamacare. Let's get that done. And let's put in place a better health care system like the American people deserve. Jim, why aren't you saying that the president is acting like an emperor and that his job is to execute laws that are passed, not well, write his own, not and that Congress CSR. must hold them to account for doing so? Never forget what they told us about this law. Everything that the Democrats told us about this law has turned out to be false. That's not true. Yes, it is. If you like your plan, you keep your plan. If you like your doctor, you keep your doctor. That's true. That's fair criticism. The president told us But not everything is untrue. Nine different lies they told us, and we know they were lies because the architect of Obamacare, Jonathan Gruber, who the New York Times called the architect of this law, mm -hmm. was caught on videotape saying, yeah, we misled the American people. We told them things that weren't accurate. We pulled one over on the American people. So the architect told us they lied to us. Like your plan, keep your plan. Like your doctor, keep your doctor. Premiums will decline. Deductibles will go down. The president of the United States, President Obama, told us 
Premiums would decline on average $2,500. Now, how has that worked out for Americans? Uh, yeah. Earlier today, you called this a win, uh, but 37 yeah. of 38 experts surveyed by the University of Chicago's initiative on global markets yep. said the GOP tax bill uh, would cause the U.S. debt to substantially yep. increase much faster than the economy. Are you concerned about that? Their economists, their study, what's the effect of the narrow tax bill on revenues and on the deficit? And so that's that's okay. Ask them the question, put together that tax bill with deregulatory and our agenda, and with the current growth rate at three, and the Fed saying we're going to grow at four next quarter, and they'll all tell you we can pay $150 billion a year with ease. You know, yeah. it feels like you're relying on this tax cut of the corporations, of the wealthy, to trickle down. Yeah. Um, is that what you're relying on? Well, no, I'm relying on all the Western Civ, right? We were all poor until 1776. Everyone made a grand until you had capitalism and free markets and the accumulation of capital. And so if you want to be rich, you have to have economic growth. We used to make $1,000 a year. Now we make 50000 a year on average. Why How do you need that economic happen? growth with the corporations? Why is this a tax cut that's going to the corporations? The corporations well, are sitting on yeah. uh, record profits, record right, profits, works, record, yeah. uh, record cash stocks. So why give this to the corporations yeah. well, and, not, and because, not to the average American citizen? Well, because it's better to give tax cuts to corporations than it is to dictators and pharaohs and the head of federal government, right? That's what causes economic growth. I'm not Everybody talking about works. dictators or pharaohs or the head of governments. I'm talking yeah, well, about the said, American people. Right. What we are, we're giving a tax cut to every bracket to the middle class. A, a single mom at home will get over a thousand back. The seventy thousand family with two kids married will get twenty fifty nine, two thousand fifty nine dollars back. So we're giving them stuff too. But the, the growth piece is by far the most important. Wages have been flat for 30 years. Bernie brought that up, right? Bernie won on that. He was winning on that. Uh, Trump came in, ran on the middle class. Wages have been stagnant, flat for about 30 years. They need relief. How, we haven't had any proposals from the other side to how do you increase productivity. Why do you That's believe the that tax thing? cuts for the wealthy yeah. and for corporations are going to help the economy? There's no evidence that that's actually worked in the past. Well, yeah, well, there, all the evidence from every Nobel laureate, I did my Ph.D. in economic growth on the solo model. I know, you've model. told me a lot of this and that, and, Well, you got to go read it. Yeah. I mean, so if you read that literature, the, the biggest contributor to economic growth is capital. There's no debate. The second is probably human capital. The third is technological growth. It's hard to measure that. Those are the three determinants of economic growth. In, in in our country's history, right? So if you want the economy to grow, you got to invest in capital, human capital, technology, and you got to be positive about business. Everybody works for either a small business or corporation, right? And so that's what feeds and pays for government. If that's not growing, like in Virginia, our economy only grew at 0.6 last time. How do you fund government jobs when the Virginia economy is only growing at That's some pretty good stuff. And that wraps up our last episode in year in review special of flyover politic podcast please feel free to share this with family and friend send comments to f-o-p-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at gmail.com fop podcast at gmail.com get the show on soundcloud podcast addict tune in radio google play itunes blueberry and stitcher remember to check out the flyover politic webpage at f-o-p-p-o-d-c-a-s-t.com fop podcast.com. It's a theme. There you see links to feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page, and to email us. On the episode release page, you'll see a link to every episode. And on the blog page, you'll see my blog. Going to try to get a podcast out Wednesday the 3rd and start the new year off with 
new and exciting stupid. I'm sure there'll be some New Year's Eve stuff to cover. There'll be some more dumb things than how New Year's Eve is white supremacist or who the fuck knows. Trump ruined New Year's Eve. I'm sure there's going to be some articles and I'll cover it for you. I want to thank everybody for listening to the show this year. It was a very banner year for Flyover Politic. We had the most listens ever. I wish you and yours the happiest of New Year's. I hope you're healthy, happy, and prosperous. And as always, as we end this show, turn it off, enjoy your family, and spend those last minutes of free time. Because Tuesday we go back to work with no more good holidays in the forefront. Well, we got Martin Luther King. If you're a city worker like I am, I get one day off. So I'll get the 15th off. But it's going to be a long time before we get some days off. So enjoy your family. Everybody have a happy new year. And thanks, as always, for listening. Take care.